So, um, Adam Topol, good, uh, good to meet you. Yeah, man, good to be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, uh, you, we, we've been hanging out, kind of came unexpectedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You dropped in to the old shop here, and uh, this is your first time to our shop in Illinois, but yeah. you've, you've gone to New York shop for a while. New York, and I went to the old location as well. And then, yeah, we, sh- we, should, we should start talking about maybe, yeah, how, how you first found the shop. So we were kind of on that before there. Uh, so... Uh, downtown Chicago. This would be 410 South Michigan Avenue. Yeah, what was your first uh, first experience at, at Maxwell Trumps? <laughs> well, it was a trip. So going going way back, like I should even go back further and say like pre-internet, pre-eBay mania, pre all this stuff. You know, I've been, I've been drumming for a long time, and like we all liked old drums. I went to Berkeley like a long time ago. And everybody loved the old drums, but because there was no internet and none of us were like collectors, I mean, their Craigslist wasn't really a thing. You'd sure. see these things come through, but you just, they were like exotic. Sure. Mostly like what we had access to was like just the stuff that was in like Guitar Center or in, we were in Boston. So there was like a, a there was a, was that drum shop in Boston? So this is during your like college years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm predating Lake Tahoe, California. Okay, cool. So you're from California. Yeah, yeah, California. <clears throat> but uh, I just at Berkeley, because the whole reason I found Maxwell's was because it was uh, specialized in vintage drums. Sure. And it curated vintage drums. And you guys were the, at least to my knowledge, the first place that did that. So did you go to the New York shop first or was it the Chicago shop first? I don't remember. Yeah, it could be either. One. I don't. I don't remember because, like, there was. Um, I'm still touring now. I they play yeah, you, drums and percussion with Jack. You Johnson. play a lot for for those listening. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I love it. You know, um, I, I play with other artists as well. But this is probably the the busiest project I I, I get to do, and yeah, yeah. probably re- has the biggest reach, I suppose. But I, I get around with other stuff as well. But I remember. Pre Maxwell's, you know, we there was just nothing much to see. You know, like one guitar center looks like another guitar center looks like another guitar center. So the only time we would go to a music shop, if we ever had a day off back then, which we usually didn't, we we worked hard. Was like, I need a new drum head, my pedal broke, blah blah blah. You go to a guitar center, whatever, and. I always found... Was there a Boston drum shop? Was there a... Oh, yeah, there was one. It was called... I forget the name of it, but when I was at Berkeley, there was a cool drum shop. Um, and it was right around the corner from Berkeley. Those guys were great. Yeah. And then there was like a kind of a chain store. Sure. But nobody did vintage drums. And it just... I didn't know it was a thing. I just remember a couple drummers at, <laughs> at Berkeley would cruise in the little practice rooms and they have an old kit. We'd like, sure. where did you get that? And there'd be like this story, like well, I met this guy and he had a few things in his garage and he decided to do me a favor and part with this thing. And we just couldn't believe it. You know, we would only see the old drum sets in like the books, you know, like the films or whatever. So it was more just like yeah, a thing that you would bump into and, and sort of marvel at. And we'd just get newer stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the vintage stuff. Some people collect it, and then some people, they want it for the sound. It's, it's, it's really cool in so many. And then the history, just the... Because the drum set was invented in America. It's a, it's a kind of came from many different 
culture's percussive instruments all combining into the traps kit, you know? Yep. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. We got Noah here, too, by the way. Yeah, man. Well, <laughs> Noah's hanging with us. Yeah, I'm so psyched. The moderator. The moderator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, I, he's like, whoa, no. That's <laughs> fact, fact, fact checker. Yeah, yeah. yeah sitting Incorrect. at the end of the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, Noah, Noah, you having fun? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been following your music, Adam, for a uh, Quite a while, mostly oh, with man. Jack's music. Thank and, you so uh, much. I definitely have some questions for you, and we'll get there. Oh, yeah, sure, cool. But, uh, we, we should talk about, up. yeah, maybe chronologically. So, like, we were talking about older kits. Like, what was your first kit, do you, like, and, and how'd you get into drumming originally? Okay. Okay, I'll tell you all that stuff. But first, I got to say, right. the, so the Maxwell thing, it was, it was honestly, like, a thing that, I heard about on the West Coast through touring drummers. Like, there's okay. the there's a shop in Chicago, and they have just stacks of old kits. The, the word was out. The <laughs> word was out. You know, one of my touring friends, uh, my buddy Pete, and, and he, great drummer, and he, he would just get, he was the first one to really on, like. What's his last name? McNeil. Pete McNeil. I wonder if I know him. Yeah, long story. We could go there later. Okay. It's intense. <laughs> but he's cool. a, f- a fabulous drummer, and. Um, and knew about knew about Gretsch's and taught me about a lot of vintage drums and stuff like that. And he was the one that told me about the shop. And and I was just like, one day I'm gonna go to Chicago and I'm gonna go to this place. I don't know what it is. And nice. so, but I think I actually wound up in I probably wound up in the New York store first. first yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And this was sort of at a nascent. Maybe around when it was first started, probably. Yeah. Because I think. I don't know. There's been a few different locations or like iterations. 10 or 15 years ago from Could have been. Today, yeah. But I go in there and it was rad because I was like, <laughs> you just see like, I remember seeing a like a WFL kit that was orange, like something crazy that I should have bought it at, at that very minute. But I was like, it was pretty early in the touring days and yeah. the music business is really volatile and you don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. You're like, oh, I could buy this. But then... I, yeah, I don't know how I you guys do it. Yeah. yeah the, it's, it's crazy. Do you do a lot of teaching or do you do just play exclusively? Uh, that's a whole crazy thing too. Sure. But okay. So I'll get into that. Cause there's how do I start and, and sometimes how, I how do I make rent? No, no, no. It's totally cool. Topic, feel, feel no, no, to. I'm, I'm going to stow those. <laughs> I get derailed. But, but then, but then, so we, <laughs> no, I was laughing. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay though. <laughs> so like, then what happened was you guys would have, and there's a like pro drum shop, which is great in Hollywood and Stan and Jerry. And yeah, I know that place. That, I've, I've never been there, but I've, I've, I've always wanted to go. I've seen like pictures. We get, they're incredible. We get the, all the old drum shops that have been around for a long time, a lot of them used to put stickers on drums. So we'll get those periodically and on yeah. heads, you know? They're, they're amazing. <clears throat> yeah. they're, 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 they're amazing. But anyway, but they didn't have like 17, 20 to 22 inch A sure. rides. <laughs> with various shades of being beat up and cool with flea bites and cracks and stuff. You guys did. So it was like the one time I could go in this room and just try all these old symbols and be like, whoa. I mean, right. as great as all the new stuff is, like, I feel like, I wonder if like the, the alloys, the metals, the compounds, the old wood with the old trees and the old sap and all that stuff somehow or another just has some kind of sound that no yeah. disrespect to the new great drum makers, which all have their place. The, the old stuff just has a vibe, you know, that Definitely. you can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things is just the, it's a little bit less perfect. The old stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it has all these little imperfections, which means the, 
each drum will kind of have like a little bit of a corkiness to it. So that it, that maybe that that will, that, yeah. that that <laughs> yeah that. So you, I I think to my knowledge, and I don't know, but like I think you were the first people that really curated that stuff, and we all started with like being really curious about round badge kits yeah. specifically. So it was that, and then and then from there, every time I there went was, to New York. The, the Chicago shop, I remember when I, I went to college down there, and I remember a time, uh, we should all make sure to put our mics real close, just because oh, yeah. they're, they're being, our neighbors are being noisy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, cool, yeah cool. they'll pick you up, but yeah, closer, closer the better. But yeah, the, um, let's see, what was it? The, the, we, there was a, a time when you would go into the Chicago shop and there would be like 10 round badge kits in a row. Yeah. All just, there was actually, there was a postcard that we had made that has that picture and we have one of them somewhere, but yeah, you probably, you probably saw that at one point in New York too. You have like a row of round badge kits. Probably, <laughs> don't see that anymore. Probably so. And, and, uh, and I don't know how you, how you guys did it because again, we had like pre internet, pre Craigslist. We had this thing called the recycler, which you guys are both young, so you don't know, but <laughs> you would just buy you stuff off of these just local classifieds. So, yeah, yeah. We just, we just I'm, I'm old enough to remember. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm we not. just a little bit of yeah, you're not. No, it's about, so we yeah. didn't have access to that. So like yeah. <laughs> any stuff you'd get would be either you were in the know or it would just be luck and happenstance. So when sure. when, when shops like yours started moving away from maybe <clears throat> stocking the new products and you guys would f somehow find these things, yeah, <laughs> it was a big win for us. And then a bunch of other stores kind of jumped in and did it too and now there's a lot of place regional places i think it's great i think the more people that appreciate these instruments the better yeah there's not enough people that that so open more shops everyone should open drum shops. i agree yeah. it, that's how you save more vintage drums from uh from a the wrecking ball yeah future. yeah yeah so it's good to have all these shops in every the city. landfill well <laughs> right you can direct people to these shops and when they're not local to you and it's really nice to be able to support each other so well, and people yeah. do it to us too i mean i've had a, i get a lot of these old drums i drive my wife crazy no she's cool about it you know but i'll get a lot of these drums and they're great but they're like a, they're beat up you know mm -hmm. somebody inevitably took the bottom heads off Sure. At one point, and are stacked and nested them in each other, and, and they was yeah. like, "What did I get? I got a Gretsch Round Badge, 2012-14 Anniversary Sparkle." Okay, I found it at this quirky music store in LA. Sure, and it was beat up, like somebody painted the hoops black. <laughs> somebody nested the drums in each other. The bearing edges were chewed up. I mean, it was like, it hurt. Yeah, you know, it's just like. I don't know what, but then there's a guy named Chris Hewer. Oh, did you did you like have the edges redone and stuff like that? I did, which is sacrilegious. Yeah, it's all right sometimes. You know, but this guy Chris Hewer. Sometimes they're like, really bad. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> these these, these things were 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 just abused, you know. So he has the factory specs to all the different drums during the eras, I and mean, he's fantastic in L.A. Chris Hewer, and Chris buffed out. There were stickers on him. Somebody like imagine that an old Gretsch like Art Blakey vibe kit. Someone puts mm. stickers on it, sure. takes the bottom <laughs> heads off, paints the hoops black. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was in, it was in, yeah, like a punk band at some point. And yeah, There's something in it, this whole thing. <laughs> it, you I, know. I've seen them painted, uh, all kinds of, and then imagine all the, all the rare reps that have been, <laughs> been pulled off the drums. Oh God, don't even get me started. <laughs> so Chris fixed them up and, and buffed them up. So yeah, they've been saved from that. 
And then I've gotten some kits and restored them and liked them, but like you can only have so many drums. And so you sell them and you revive them and you let them back out in the world, you know? And so there's so many, there's so many drums and a lot of them I've gotten in your shop. Some of them Craigslist, some of them eBay and stuff. So it's, it's like a fun pastime. So that's what I, that's how I got into your, what you guys were doing. Sure. Sure. What, what do you plan when you tour? Well, I'm a Yamaha artist. Yamaha, nice. So, so, and I have They've got been. a cool formula. I like their, um, they have like that, the thing that they really seem to be proud of is that what the plies are at an angle. And then, uh, so it's a very strong shell. I think they're the only company that does that. Cross lamination. Cross laminated, yeah. And then yeah. at that angle. So if you look inside. It, oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it, it's, it's a really cool history and like early on. Oh, we have a cool drum that, did you know, Rogers R360s were manufactured by Yamaha. Oh, that's right. Probably the Sh- Sakai or whatever, the, the Osaka people. I don't know. But. Ye- well, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, they owned the, the Rogers then. thing. Yeah, I should, yeah, yeah, I should so, yeah. But, yeah, so I don't know why it, why it happened. Maybe, I, I'm not sure why, but, yeah, they are, they are definitely Yamaha shells. I did a video with the, actually, it just sold, didn't it? <laughs> the, Does it sound uh, cool? Oh, it, it didn't, it didn't <laughs> no. sell. We thought we sold it. <laughs> yeah. They close, sound good. So yeah. close. They sound better than most of the import stuff because a, a lot of that import stuff, it's a really, really inexpensive uh wood and then but oh, these yeah. are like it's cool because they're like really early yamaha shells and they have the characteristics of a modern shell so that's like right when they invented their, oh their i can't process. wait I, what, I, what kind of finishes your kid have that you're uh, well let's see might be a lacquer no you know what i did uh I because their back, fade their lacquer uh, yeah they sunburst. make they make so they make a lot of good stuff <laughs> yeah they, they're actually i think the shells they make them now in china and and um we got to well pre-China. We got to go when we were in Osaka doing a gig. Me and and my my cohort Josh Arroyo. He 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 used to tech. Now he does COVID security. But okay, we went and they built us. At, we went to Sakai. They built us snare drums. Yeah, and we got to see the whole process. So it was fun seeing that whole tradition there. And then I think I guess they cut ties with Sakai. And now the drums are made in China, and I, I went to the showroom recently, and I tried a lot of the, their newer line, and it's, they're great. Yeah, yeah. It sounds great. And now they're doing the recording customs and all the drums in like 20 by 14 and 22 by 14. I think that you can sneak one in in the thinner sizes, which is great, because I, I like the traditional yeah, sizes. Yeah, well, what's, your, what's your, uh, your setup, your, your kind of primary setup for, uh, well, for working? Honest, honestly, like, because I like vintage stuff, but because I'm I'm connected with Yamaha and Daryl and Greg and and all those great people, I buy I bought a couple of D20s and D22s. So for those of you that don't know or aren't nerds like me, Yamaha, there's like I don't know what year they're made, but it has a silver interior like Gretsch. Okay. I think they were aspiring to to kind of emulate like the Gretsch people. So. Sure. Literally, they have Silver incredible. Yeah. They have like the wrap. I, you probably haven't had any D20s or D22s in here, but the, those are Yamahas. Yamaha. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. even know what they we are. We had right? two actually in the oh, last few months. We had a like a blue oyster looking one, and then that walnut one was a D20 as well. Okay, I didn't yeah. know what you're talking about. That. Yeah, fantastic kits. <laughs> They're yeah. super cool. Yeah, I, I mean, no backs me oh, up. Oh, so yeah, those those shells. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Shells yeah, are, the, the R360 was painted too. Yeah. Yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same and shell. so honestly, they 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 got they got vibe like a lot of vibe yeah <laughs> and uh so i bought i found a couple there's a guy named adrian my friend adrian from texas who who collects vintage yamahas he's hmm. he still got some but he had like 
whole slew of these D20s and D22s in every single finish. He really, nice. he's a real devotee. And they have a special sound, almost like I, I got a 22, 13, 16 that almost sounds like uh, some Radio Kings or something. Yeah. And they're, they're incredible. So I'll use those. And it's in a black, kind of a black oyster, wacky finish. Sure. It's, it's, I like drums with inlays and wraps, you know. And so Wraps are nice for not getting them damaged. Yeah, they're the toughest. Uh, <laughs> it just looks cool. I hate to say it. You are, know. are you a, a sparkle? You like the sparkles or more? I'll sparkle it. The... I'll do whatever, <laughs> sure, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do whatever. I just like the classic thing. But so yeah. I have a set of D20s that, well, one set I got off eBay, and it was really cool. So I, I think a, a, like a Pentecostal drummer owned them on eBay. So there were some scriptures written on the heads and they were, oh, they were I've dusty. Seen that before. Sure. Yeah. And Your I cleaned list, them up. Yeah. And, yeah, oh yeah. And yeah, I think some, yeah, some biblical stuff and cleaned <laughs> them up and they sound cool. And they're like, they're just a little off center. Cool. It's not the standard thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like modern drums. Sometimes I say they're just like, they're too perfect. <laughs> some of them, they're, they're so incredibly resonant. Right. And they, right. they do sound, they sound fantastic. And it, you know, it kind of depends on what tool you're using, but the old ones, sometimes I find, uh, you can just set them up in the studio and, uh, they're almost a little bit more mellow and, or like less resonant. You don't have to muffle them as much. Yeah. Uh, that's just what I find. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. Sound and, good a little more open. <laughs> and then sometimes you, it, it, you got to have things that function. So let's say you're, if you're touring, your drums are sitting in a truck for two days. Sure. And then they, get, they set the stuff up in the morning on a stage, and it's hot or it's freezing. Oh, yeah. And it's outside, and you're doing a festival and stuff, and then you have something that's really fragile. When you get out there in front of all those people, <laughs> aside from being like, if you get nervous or try to figure things out, your drums all of a sudden sound like boxes. And so in some cases, things sure. have to be really reliable. So the snare, oftentimes I'll get a newer snare, like a, like a modern snare, because they sound good mm -hmm. and they're, you can hit them. And they don't, like a lot of the older strainers, I feel like, Oh, they'll pop right off sometimes. They pop yeah. off or they get loose. Leadies are the worst. Yeah. They're some of the finest drums ever made. They still look, they look like they were made yesterday, a hundred right. years old. Mm -hmm. But you hit that thing uh, hard, hard enough. It'll, yeah, it'll, it's it'll always a ticking right time bomb with yeah. those things. Plus it has stick chopper hoops. So you'll go through about a pair of sticks every night if you're playing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. All that. And then Back you think beats. about like if you're on a stage and there's subs and there's giant speakers and there's monitors and it's loud and right. then you inevitably not you i'll inevitably get the butt end of my stick for a backbeat and do a, <laughs> maybe the occasional full body flam not many and then all of a sudden if you don't have things that stay in tune sure. or strainers <laughs> that stay or strainers that loosen it just gets messed up so sometimes it's it's just like a balance you know if you're working and stuff do you use older stuff or newer stuff Typically older right now. Yeah. I think just about everything I have yeah. is older. Yeah. Talk about your kits, Noah. You yeah, some really cool stuff. Oh, you mentioned Gretsch Round Badge and <laughs> Satin Flames. That's what mine is, and mm -hmm. it's. Uh, you're absolutely right. Those finishes are probably the most prone to damage. So mine yeah. is a player as it gets, and I recut the edges on it too. So it's. Uh, you, know, you do what you do to get it back in working order again. But I love those drums. Moonglow, exactly. right? Fantastic. 
Yeah, Moongo. Yeah, Moongo satin flame. That's exactly. A, that's a cool one. No, Dude, it's and it's like pieces favorite. of art. You know, it's like, man, life is so hard, you know? And if you can find a few little things that give you joy, yeah. that are cool to check out and, and look at, and it's not a computer screen, no disrespect to... Oh, absolutely. ...to, mm-hmm. to the streaming platforms and the social media platforms. Sure. We're, but you're like, hearing us through it right now. Yeah, so. which, which you are. So, like, I'm not at odds with it, but, like... <laughs> For my mind, whether someone's playing a guitar or a bass or a keyboard or they're trying to vocalize or something, they're putting their, they're putting their hands on physical matter and trying to get a sound from it. And I don't want to like be in any kind of high horse at all, but I do think the practice of trying to get notes out of a thing is a pretty great departure, oh, yeah. you know? Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, it's and just kind of such a great activity. Yeah, you got you got you got to find things in life that make you happy and and uh, music in general. It's just a, a great yeah. Let, people should play less video games, play more music. <laughs> I, I think I think and for me, I mean, I and I get sucked in. I got one of those little apps like Your Screen Time oh, sure. is up two thousand percent this week. You, so. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm not. I mean, trust me. Like I, my wife will get on me. She's like, you're yeah, always yeah, on, you're yeah. always on your phone. Yeah. But part I of it, YouTube, I just it's like channel flipping. I'll just like go like oh, but dude, like a, you see a cat yeah. trying to get a fish frozen in ice, and then you'll I have see to watch this. Mo Tucker <laughs> from the Velvet Underground and how she played every exact beat with someone analyzing it into some rare yeah. Ed Blackwell footage into someone you haven't seen for thirty years trying to say hi, and you're just like oh, <laughs> right. So it, it, it's a challenge. But 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 back to the back to what you guys did. It was a, it was a cool place. For me to go and just a feel good kind of thing. So you you probably met Jess way early on. Yep, Hayden, Jess, a lot. I of I keep those. saying one of these days I'm going to get Jess on a podcast, but it hasn't dude, happened he'd yet, be crazy. Yeah, I the would Jess love confidence. Jess. I, I bet you with all us maniac drummers, he's got some stories. I mean, oh yeah, of, think of the <laughs> caliber like the and and the masters that have come through your shop, the the Jordans of the world, and all yeah. the great jazz figures that come in. I mean. Dude, he's, I love, it's just, I'll go to Stan and the pro drum and just hang out there. Mm-hmm. And it's in Holly, it's on Vine Street, a really gritty. Have you seen this shop before, Noah? Pro drum? They've, yeah, they've been around for a long time. Oh, it's, it's, it's yeah. an institution. They were around when Franks was around. I haven't was, been there, but yeah. I've definitely heard of them. No, and they, they, they have one of Buddy Rich's kits there, I think. Yeah. No, no, it's ridiculous. They have, they have Gene Krupa's drum throne and it's like mm. the perfect like i think he sawed off a canister throne oh. and made <laughs> was it he shorter he wasn't time. too tall i don't know but i sat on this thing and i'm like please let me have this let me take this stands like nope <laughs> so i mean you can go there and and you see the really cool working drummers or you see some people coming in off the street that are a little wacky or you'll see marvin smitty smith or you'll see james gadson wander in there and is and, it like close to the like the strip is it? It is, and it, and it's right across from what used to be the Union Building. So, I've never been to Hollywood. The only place I've ever been near where you live is the Nam Show, which was in Anaheim. Yeah, so I've been there, and oh, that's dude. the closest. That <laughs> yeah, that, that's a well. No disrespect to the Nam Show; it gives people joy, but that's, sure, it's a hectic. Oh, it was. It's a hectic. I actually, yeah, when I was there, I got sick, <laughs> so I spent the entire time. Uh, trying not to it, it wasn't it wasn't the most fun because i got like a summer cold essentially oh yeah so i was just like snoring really bad. <laughs> me oh. and my dad had one room oh no and so, yeah we're, 
so if I go again, but yeah, I don't know if we're gonna go to too many more Nam shows. I actually had really fun though. I I loved the food trucks. Did, did you, have you been to the Nam yet? Have you Nammed it? I haven't Nammed it, dude. It is it's loud. Wild. Okay. <laughs> First <laughs> off, it's loud. Really loud. <laughs> Second off, I always off, see them walking around with the noise meters, the decibel meters Noah, there. Me and you should go. Just oh, me no, and you. No. You have to go for the sheer spectacle. Like I went, okay. I walked in, I'm like, dude, there's Ingve, the like the metal guitar god. There's Ingve. And then there's these girls that are practically topless. And then there are like some some kids that are like awestruck at all these instruments and just like yeah. really wild about it. And then there's like Steve Ferroni burrowing through the crowd. And then there's all this gear and all these booths. And then you're rubbing elbows with people you haven't seen in years. And you almost, it's just super frantic. So I, I haven't nammed it in a couple of years. It's, it's even louder than the Chicago drum show. But yeah. it is kind of cool. <laughs> I, I always I always liked going to the piano room. I, I like the piano, seeing all the grand pianos. Oh, that you play amazing. piano too? Yeah, I play oh, piano. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and yeah, it was... That, that was my favorite part, actually. Yeah. We, we used to have a, we'd always have a Craviato booth. And then uh, I spent some time in the DW booth. That was cool. Those guys are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they helped me with hardware. <laughs> mm. DW? Oh, okay. Nice. I mean, yeah, yeah they, they, they do a fantastic job. And they're doing a lot for the, the kind of historic stuff. Someday we'll get a Slingerland again. Someday. Yeah. They own it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just picked up. A 20-inch Radio King with uh, the old Radio Kings, not the ones. Sure. With, yeah, not the, not the Krupa whatever ones. What are the, what do you call the older ones with the, what kind of lugs? The Bieber tail or what do you call those? Streamline lugs. Streamline. You never see a 20. There's a, there's a term that. <laughs> I heard Bieber tail and I was like, yeah, Bieber tail. And then you said streamline. I was like, no, so I haven't the, heard of that. Yeah, the, I think sometimes I don't know the people word. call them Bieber tail, but the ones you're talking about are the ones that. They almost also look a little bit like a, a clamshell almost. That, they're, yeah, that, they're, mm, yeah, that bit. That, and then I, found I think Streamline is the official term. Okay, Streamline. Nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I found that. And so I, I now have a 2012 14 Radio King with those lugs on them. Cool. Yeah. 2012 14. 20. 20 I found yeah. A, yeah, I found a 20. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Yeah, that would be like one of the first 20s ever made, I think. Yeah. The, Don't know. And but it's I, got the, like, those would be probably mahogany, poplar mahogany with those big, big reinforcement hoops. Yeah. No, I freaked out. I <laughs> Very freaked cool. out. I found this. Well, the floor tom is probably a tom. Like, you know, the, they had the two giant tom toms on the. I don't think it was meant to be a floor tom. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, when I get back home, I'm going to. I'm, I'm so psyched. You just picked this one up? Yeah. yeah. Where'd you get nice. it? <laughs> New York. Oh, oh, it's from us. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. deal. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, the, the Slingerland stuff is great. They're uh, they were a great company. Kind of, one of the things I really like about the vintage uh, American drum companies is kind of like each company had their own really specific formula. Right. And a lot of the times they stuck to it. Gretsch was the most. They were like I think the most conservative company. They would mm -hmm. never change anything. Right. Uh, but then, uh, but they stuck to what they they did well. And yeah, you know, you got Slingerland like stick saver hoops, single ply snare drums. And then you got Ludwig. I always think of like metal snare drums. That's mm -hmm. something they really have always done well. Yeah. You got Rogers, which was like super innovative in hardware. Incredible. And sharper bearing edge. They did that pretty much before anyone else. Incredible. And then Gretsch. They, you know, if you like the Gretsch sound, an interesting thing, the Toms don't have vent holes. 
That's a thing about old it's, 60s Gretsch drums that I never thought no about one ever that. talks about that. Yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> it makes that. a difference. It's a huge difference. In a good way or in a weird way? Well, you can't do it on a snare drum. You need a vent hole and a snare drum. Yeah, the snares, I had trouble it, it with the snare respond. drums. Okay. But but their snares had vent holes. So, okay. So yeah, and the Gretsch snares, they always sound kind of boxy. Right. But yeah, for a Tom, you can get away without having a vent hole. And I think it, I think it just makes it a little more kind of tubby and a little more quiet a little more like my i can actually show you i got a craviato kit the one that's built out as a maxwell that actually doesn't have vent holes on the toms and it's yeah it just makes it a little more mellow the air just doesn't get pushed out uh, wow. quite the same so wow yeah you know the little chinese toms what those sound like yeah the, the yeah, ones yeah. that you were on the old kits right a little more similar to that Right. Those oh, don't dude. have vent holes, I don't think. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> but they didn't have lugs. The ch- are you talking about the... the yeah, those are tack heads. The yeah, tack heads, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's I mean, that, that's where toms kind of come from. And if you look at early toms, they slowly evolved. Like, that is the evolution right there. You got wow. the tack head on the bottom. And then, oh, wow. And if you look at the bearing edge on that drum, it's incredibly round. Oh, wow. And that, you know, so... <laughs> they, yeah, 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 they, they evolved slowly. Toms are so important now to drumming too. Back in, it was much more snare and bass driven, you know, in right. the first half of the, uh, you know, you know, last last century, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, let, let's talk more about you and okay. Like, so so mm-hmm. so back to like when you first started music. Tell me a little about like your family and like. Uh, okay, so stuff. I'm from Lake Tahoe, California. Um, really sleepy blue collar then blue collar town in in the mountains we're on the california side okay it was a really cool scene like we didn't get the i mean you're you're from chicago right yeah yeah. and you're from chicago right half and half half and half so wait you're here in texas okay here in texas (laughs) so wait houston austin 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 okay so uh, austin's the bomb so (laughs) you guys probably had more exposure to a lot of musical acts coming in town you know we didn't have much but drumming is such a cool thing because you were talking about the chinese tom tom and the fact that it's a it's sort of an american the trap set is sort of a thing that kind of came up in in the united states sure sure. it's a thing that's put together it has an architecture to it it doesn't have a certain number of frets or keys or strings or whatever yeah it's up. It's according to what the person feels like bringing that day or not, right? Yeah. Or how they tension it, or what they decide to do or to not do. So it's, right. It's part. It's performance, but there's some architecture to it too. So as a little guy, you see like a, even in Lake Tahoe, where other than at the casinos once in a while, we just didn't. There was no way we would see the Buddy Rich Band or anything. We didn't get things like that. It was a ski destination. Sure. But you'd go to the bars and the lodges and there'd be a lounge band or a lodge band. And, and I look at that now and I'm thinking, ah, they're probably, all, you know, I'd still do, I'll still do gigs like that. But I'll, I'll think of it more in professional terms like, oh, I wonder if they get fed that day or, mm-hmm. you know, is it just band discount or where do they load their, you know, I think of it in different terms. I'll play for free beer. Right on. Man. <laughs> as long as, as long as I get to play some fun jazz, I'll, I'll play for beer. Yeah. And, and that's a great attitude. And that's, that's what music's about in, sure. my, in my opinion. But anyway, when you're a little guy, you can even go to a restaurant, like a little pub for skiers and there's a band set up and playing and, and somebody's setting up a drum set and, Sometimes if you're inclined to drumming, you see that and it's like, it's like magical. I'm like, wait, 
he's setting the bass drum on the ground. He's mounting a tom-tom on it. And he's, what are those symbols that, that smash together with his, like, it just yeah. blew me away. And I think certain people. A sense of wonder there. Yeah, you see mm -hmm. it. And, and like, the other thing is so like. Do you remember that? Do you remember like. Oh, the, vividly. The just vividly like, seeing a drummer it. setting a, a drum set up and immediately being like, that is like the best thing ever. That's great. <laughs> and then, of course, the incredible rock band known as Kiss came oh. out and it was game over. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, I know like this is like I, I have an appreciation for a wide variety of music. But when you're like six, the, the mind is the mind is such a different thing. You know, you're just into it's just beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But if you just see like some kind of spectacle and people are playing musical instruments and it's just really captivating and interesting. And, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. With my kids, the look on their eyes when they get really interested in something that's not like you know, some silly TV show, something that has some real artistic content, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so incredible. Oh, it's, 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 it's well, how best. old were you? Like, do you think when you saw your first kitten, when oh, you, you started know, bothering like your parents, six, to get seven you? <laughs> and something. And then my dad is just super, he, he used to play tenor sax too. So he's really, oh, okay. he, musical he was great. family. Yeah. <laughs> A bit. Yeah. I mean, he, he should have stayed with it cause he, he naturally had it, you know, Brooklyn, yeah. Sheepshead Bay. Like he was definitely, so as soon as he could, you know, a tenor player or alto or uh, tenor. So nice. like as soon as he could, James Brown, um, Jerry Mulligan, yeah. uh, Miles Davis. <clears throat> first gig that he took us to, he was like, you've got to hear these guys. And it was Santana. So then Ooh, you, you see people playing congas and you see people playing timbales and it was in a casino. And so it's Very a magical cool. process. So then it, the, the second thing that's beautiful is that it's um, it's a medium for most people that requires them to interact with other humans, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and leave this, their own space, their own group. And so you look at Santana and all of a sudden I see a lot of different people, a lot of different faces connecting together to make music for, for a demographic that certainly wasn't like an Oakland or Bay Area crew. Sure. These were people from Reno and Tahoe, but everyone was into it and everyone was together and they were sharing in this thing. Right. You know, and so back to being a little kid and maybe starting with Kiss, but then you get into Cat Stevens. Oh, that's a mellower thing. <laughs> and then slowly you ease into a Santana or a thing. And then maybe easing into the 80s, like Branford Marsalis. We didn't know about jazz, but I remember Branford, you know, he was like the guy. And so I remember we Branford, bought, yeah. yeah, we bought Royal Garden Blues. And then that okay, led one us of his records over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I, you, I would not have known about Coltrane or Charlie Parker or Monk or Lester Young hmm. or Kenny Burrell or any of these people that I love now. What about an early teacher? And you want to do a shout out for maybe someone who had an had a influence on you early on? Uh, probably more like a public apology to a long list of <laughs> teachers, you know? I'm sorry I didn't practice. I mean, did you guys practice? <laughs> yeah. I mean, were you guys practicers? I mean, please. I, I, I remember yeah, I being, I remember almost that I was, I was having, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you're trying to you juggle your life. And I remember one time I was like basically in tears because I was supposed to practice and I didn't practice. Aww. It was, I was, I, there was a snare drum etudes, you know, those, yeah, which those, those are, you can't, you I, can't you fake can, that. You cannot fake that. And I kicked <laughs> yeah. myself for not getting into that earlier. I just wasn't ready. The you know? There's like, there's a book that I was, I was preparing for college auditions. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going to my lesson and just, I hadn't practiced at all. 
and I was just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what am I going to do? Should I print out I'm sick? I know I did that last week. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, so yeah, but, but were you a well, big practicer when well, you were but good for you? Like the fact <laughs> that you were, that was even on your radar sure. at that age. I mean, at my age in college, it was like, <clears throat> you know, I still owned a skateboard, you know, I was big into skateboarding. Yeah. I yeah. I, you know, we were surfing and, and yeah, in doing California, various can... recreational activities that probably <clears throat> shouldn't have happened at that point. So snare drum etudes, like I wish like we would look at the marching band and think like, ah, oh, that's, that seems a little too stiff or whatever, but it's square. Yeah. Now, like I wish I would have done all that stuff because <laughs> you take all that, all hey, that technical all right. facility. Well yeah. now, so luckily like I, you know, you come to things when you come to them, but they're cool. They're cool. But, but that, could, that they get a little contempt, extreme, some of those. Yeah. But yeah. The whole contempt prior to investigation thing, like sure. <laughs> music is good thing to wear that down. You know, because like I think that was good too. Because like if I came up as a more of a rock kid, like I went to a boarding school, so oh, in okay. Santa Barbara, it wasn't like a well, it was kind of bad, but it was more like it was a good school in in Tahoe. Did you was, have music there? Was it a well, we had like a, a jazz band, band but it was more like it was wasn't well, it could have been serious, but none of us were like again. You talk about sn snare drum etudes, and I mean, were you Noah? Were you like? taking drumming exactly. seriously? I, it's one of my biggest regrets is I got into drumming when I was already burnt out of practicing. So like right, right junior high-ish and everything, I was like vehemently against going to school for it or taking lessons. I took lessons like once or twice and I just wouldn't practice. That's not the case now anymore, but I <laughs> had been golfing my entire life leading oh, up to that. Yeah, so I was oh, practicing dope. like all day, and I was done. I, I can say something about oh, that. Though. Okay, so, that, so, so, so the burnout, so the burn, the whole discipline. There, there's a thing about classically trained, right? So they mm. teach you all the rules, and they teach you what's the right thing to do, but then they also kind of teach you what you're not supposed to do. Right. So sometimes, like Noah is a great example like he 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 plays some really cool stuff that like i never would have thought to play but then he kind of just made it up he like it just came from noah <laughs> yeah. well okay so then that opens up a whole other creation a creative discussion the mm -hmm. autodidact versus somebody that's gotten a pedagogy of like you sure. know <laughs> and i kind of dabbled in both but here's the heavy thing at least for me in in the genre that i work in a lot mm. the best people the best guys and girls that I've tended to work with were like just did other things and just picked up an instrument and within within their own imagination sort of they I'm sure they got a Beatles songbook and and, and got the chords together you have to sure. do that mm -hmm. but they certainly didn't put the guitar on the right the left knee with the foot rest and get their hand position perfect they sure. <laughs> they they just kind of learned some songs in their bedroom and and wrote things now of course that's different than if you're a symphonic artist or you, maybe you're studying the traditions of like the jazz masters or classical, yeah. but so much powerful music got made, you know, in the street. Yeah. yeah. The like street. Yeah, vir virtuosity is one of the, it's a, that may be a little bit of what we're talking about. Yeah. The, sure. And the, well, there's so many different kinds too. Sure. And, and so you're talking about the rules, like one of the hardest things, biggest problems I had and maybe at Berkeley was that, there was this notion of what is good, yeah. laudable, and this notion Do dogmatic, of, maybe a little. Yeah, bit. <laughs> and this notion of what what isn't good, and yeah. and I'm not saying it's bad, like um, <clears throat> to play anywhere 
anywhere within the same universe as a as a, an Art Blakey type or a Paul Motion type or a Philly Joe type is those guys were incredibly expressive and beautiful and and they swung but they could they could all read and play and they had dynamics so nobody can dispute that and i i think if i i can't imagine somebody could do those things unless they did the homework so <laughs> of course there's that so you what what years were you at berkeley uh I left in 95. I was there for a couple of years. I, I, I went to Berkeley for two years and I dropped out and studied with Alan Dawson. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. But I also had a foot into the, to, to the world music scene and the reggae scene. And yeah, the, we were talking about that the other I, day. Like yeah, punk rock music right. and all this other stuff. <laughs> Afro-Cuban stuff, we were talking about some Yeah, and then Conga. I started going to Cuba, Havana. <laughs> oh, you've and been Matanzas, to Cuba? Cuba. Yeah, no, oh, I studied out I'm there. I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, you guys should t totally go. Is it easy to travel there these days? It's probably not. <laughs> I think if you can... Easier than maybe 20 years ago, though. I th Yeah, no, I, I think if... I, I, I don't know what the laws are, but I think if you can present a reason to go for humanitarian Don't bring reasons, any cigars or, back. <laughs> I think they will let you bring a few. I don't know the, what the rules are, but, but uh, I I don't started, think I've ever smoked a Cuban cigar. You haven't? I haven't. I'd oh, love to, dude. yeah. <laughs> don't but, don't let me get you started. Cuba <laughs> is so good, man. Yeah, I my my buddy Boomer. He's like a cigar aficionado. He always gets like the Honduras one. He hasn't hooked. Oh, you had a Honduras one though. Yeah, those are supposed to be pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Honduras, we'll, Nika. That's our good. thing now. <laughs> me, and, me and Boomer. He's a symbol guy. Symbol fanatic. Really, <laughs> Boomer. It's, yeah. Oh, I gotta talk to him, man. Yeah. He's around. You know, he's he's, he's got a great ear for like uh, you can hit any part of the symbol and he'll really. Just diagnose. He always consigns his stuff in New York, so who knows? Boomer, come a... here. Get, get, I need some yeah. hi hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He hammers too. He he does some hammering. Uh, we kind of, I'll lay it for him. He'll hammer a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's we, dope. Yeah, send me those hi hats. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we were talking earlier about lathing, and uh, maybe I'll do some hi hats for you. <laughs> Dude, I would love it. I've got some old thick ones that are clunky that I bet you could make awesome. Sure, and I can I can always just lay it on the inside so that uh, you, it doesn't affect the logo or anything. So I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't mind. I like things that look weird. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Where do those come from? <laughs> yeah, no, no, the, the, the mystical stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. But it was cool, like, <clears throat> coming here, I think you guys kind of started like, um, like a, or at least you were the first ones. It's hard to say started, began, ended. But I mean, I feel like a lot of shops popped up that kind of had that same respect that you guys had for curating the older stuff. You know, I'm really good friends with with Revival Drum Shop with Jose and his crew. And yeah, he's. He, I have his uh, his record. Oh yeah, he's fantastic really improviser. He's he's a I'll, beautiful drummer. I'll put drummer. it on later if you want to listen to it. Yeah. I would love that. It's, it's I would fantastic. love it. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll Is put that on the, the big one he did, the too. John Fahey uh, release that he did the, with M Ward and stuff. He's had a few different the 1939 ensemble or it's him and a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most yeah, recent one. I don't know one. what to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what genre I'd call it. It's, it's very cool, though. I, I very love it. Very eclectic and cool. I love it comes it. on, and everyone's like, what is that? That's Jose cool. was here over the drum show, actually, so <laughs> yeah. he, he dropped by here, and uh, he's just a kind soul, and I I love that yeah. I got to meet him because he's he's great. Jose's a gentleman. He got a really cool kit while he's here, he, too, actually. Too. Oh, what did he get? He plays with his hands. Like, he uses <laughs> the old kits. He uses the stuff from the... Oh, yeah. Like He'd use this thing. No, yeah, he, he, he totally, like, uh, we, we toured together. He played with... Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a gig with uh, another artist that was signed on on Jack Johnson's label, this guy Donovan Frankenreiter. 
I didn't yeah. know he was playing so much. That's awesome. <laughs> well, this was this was several years ago. Okay. I mean, he still plays constantly, but but back then we I had the good fortune of touring with Jose, and I just remember like he was bringing out like leady like twenty six inch. I'm I'm. <laughs> Where did you get that? I'm guessing like <laughs> really cool stuff. It's a hundred no, years old. No man. rack tom. <laughs> yeah. And you bringing like, out a gig. <laughs> yeah. Just some great cool. stuff. Him and Pete, a couple of drummers that that were proudly playing vintage gear and so it, yeah. it they it definitely steered me in the right direction and then you got like the daptones and a lot of other people getting that vintage sound back and putting a premium on that and so i was just glad that your shop started that and then i think a lot of other cool regional local shops followed suit or did their own spin on it yeah like know? in in the 90s and then the 2000s the all of a sudden yeah everyone was really interested in the old drums again yeah if you went to like 1985 no one cared yeah <laughs> no one cared about about a drum and then to 95 people start getting a little more interested by 2005 it was becoming a real well a and, real and, thing. and to <clears throat> and to i think to come to the fence of the 80s and 90s folks we just didn't know where to get them yeah, they yeah, weren't in true. modern drummer. There was always, you know, we, we just got what what we got. You know, you can't just type it all out and just do you see know, everything do you remember, that's available. I don't know if you were gigging a lot then, but the hardware situation. It used to be that no, it was ridiculous. You either have a 1960s stand, which we could never find. You, <laughs> you don't have like uh, back problems, or you have because like all the hardware was like really heavy. Yeah. And there was no light option, no flat base option. Super, yeah. It was when we super started, bizarre. actually, that vintage hardware was actually something we sold a lot. People always wanted it. When we were mm -hmm. downtown, people would always come to us yep. for that stuff. Because, yep. hey, you know, I'm carting the stuff around. People even like buskers, you know? I think I'm since then. I'm playing on the street. I don't need a yep. double yep. Companies have uh, <laughs> caught on since then and started yeah. reproducing lightweight hardware. Now it's, that now it's the end thing. Yeah. But it's back in, yeah. You know, it's the really good one, Swan Leg Stands. Have you ever, it's the Rogers uh, cymbal stands. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, My buddy they, Stephen Flynn. If you combine those. those with flat base stands, mm -hmm. it is just really nice because mm. you can fit anything anywhere you want <laughs> you'll have to show me that one because i got a, yeah i got a couple of them in the studio yeah, we use them over there yeah oh, that's <laughs> the great. extra simple stand <laughs> but i think as time goes on it could be a trend but i i just sort of think people are more really thinking about how to make people's lives easier on, on like a gigging base. like yeah yeah you mm. know when you go to a gig like i'm on a kind of a bigger tour right now but when i'm in los angeles I go to a club and I show up and play, and sometimes there's a backline kit, but inevitably someone's going to want to bring some cymbals and a snare and make some stuff work, and you have to just drag some things, you know, find parking, drag some things across a parking lot, yeah. and show up. And I just think people are just fine tuning everything. You, you said it before, but I, I don't. Did you say the sizes? Like, what's your preferred sizes? Twenty-two, maybe. Twenty, twenty. Twenty. Okay, twenty. Yeah, twenty kick. Is usually pretty 14 good. or are you like 16 or probably 16 okay just because yeah. a little I'm, more low end <laughs> yeah and i think because I, I playing amplified music i think a 16 is cool i'm, I'm sure yeah. if you if someone knows how to tune great like you guys you could get a 14 and sound epic but they're, they're just different yeah the 16s are like they are like a little lower i think mm -hmm. this is just mm -hmm. me but I don't know. It's hard to say because because yeah, the, the dimensions of the drum when you make it deeper, it's like less. So I think that the the fundamental it almost like it hits you in the heart more, but then the the actual pitch you hear with your ears, I feel like you get a little more body out of a fourteen. 
That's just me. Like yeah. the 16 and the 18 go straight to your heart. Right, the right. The 14 is a little more in your ears. Maybe. I don't know. No, no, no. It <laughs> totally makes sense. And and <laughs> since you guys know how to tune, like a 14-inch floor tom is not an easy thing to tune unless yeah. you know what you're doing. 16 is a little easier to tune. You know and what my favorite sizes are? Great. I like 20, 13, 16. Me too. So is, the kit I'm oh, using now oh, is bang. a 2013. <laughs> nice. A 13 is epic. So I guess they call that a mm-hmm. super beat or whatever. They, I don't know. Giant beat. They I have some remember. word for it. <laughs> but that's that's the shit. What you, but you've got a 2012. 2012 14 is usually what I go for, but I've been getting bigger drums lately. Yeah. But I, I'm a 20-inch bass drum guy like all the way. It's hard to stuff, go back. It really is because they, yeah, they, they, they can thump. They can. I mean, of course, if you're trying to get a bottom thing happening... Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a tougher notion. I I I have some bigger kick drums, but then it puts the rack tom higher. Then you have to put it in your car. Sure. Care. Like I, <laughs> I'm a working drummer. And were you were you ever in a band where you had to have like a really big kit? Like, mm. how did they do it back then? You think about just you're 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 driving from city to city in like maybe like 1985. Oh or something. yeah. You got ten drums. But my my, uh, my wife's dad, he was in a band like that probably around the 80s and yeah he had like uh, a rush vibe or like yeah 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 that was just the thing to have a it lot of drums like key moon and stuff at least yeah it's <laughs> five fun. piece drums that maybe did you guys ever do a seven? thing when you were kids of like you took your five piece kit and combined it with your friend's five piece kit <laughs> and the colors would match but you have this giant keith moon kit and then with me it would be with my dad <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. We, yeah i my first kit was a rogers gold sparkle 20 probably 12 16 that is so cool might have been a 14 we had them facing each other but then i wanted a pearl so my second kit was a uh, because you're probably into rock and stuff. Yeah, it's, I, I think it was a like a power fusion tom pearl like ten. And 12, your dad let, did he 15, be like no, that's not what, something. that's not what hey, he, he's cool or he was cool. He, let he was you trying to explain to me why the old drums are cooler, right? <laughs> and I just didn't, I, I just didn't really agree with him at that point. Yeah, but then it didn't take me too long to figure out when you grow up in a shop like this, yeah, you start yeah. to realize, you know, certain things. And then yeah, then I kind of I reversed it and I went on to like. Every drum has to be completely open and not muffled. Yeah. <laughs> so I became kind of like a jazz fundamentalist for a while. Well, that's cool too. And, and then, much uh, a little more recently, the last like 10 years, I think rec- I record a lot now. So it's just all about the different things you can get. Yeah. Never, like, there's no like one correct drum sound. Yeah. You were talking about that earlier, how mm-hmm. this instrument, it's like always a novelty because mm-hmm. every drummer you have, is going to have a completely different setup, yeah. you know? And so the sizes are all different and the architecture's you know. different. And, yeah. you know, I, you've seen the trends now where like the great quest love just did away with the rack Tom completely oh, yeah. and had a very minimal kit. And <clears throat> then that got on people's rate. I think sure. that, he had a huge impact on, I think how a lot of drummers, what kind of snare is he using now? I wonder <laughs> who knows. He's a Ludwig guy, but yeah, it's definitely Ludwig. Yeah. Metal snare. Maybe. I'll have to watch the Late Show again and check sure. it out. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Questlove's such a good groove. He was fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like, and then yeah, and at the same time, we were just like, if you'd have to go play somewhere and, and load your own stuff in LA or go record at your friend's house, I just realized, especially if you're doing kick, snare, hat, and you're making beats, that's kind of you can have a lot of. I've had the some of the best gigs in my life with kick, snare, a hat, and a ride, and maybe a floor tom, and, sure. a, and a bell. 
I use my floor time as a table most of the time. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like for my music. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Because I, I always think if, uh, when I play a gig, usually I just, I write out a chart, kind of like tune, yeah. tune one, tune two. And a lot of the times I'm just like, what's the intro? Because that's what I'll, once I get going, I'll remember it. Right. <laughs> and then when you take a solo, you just throw it off, hit the drum, and then put it back on later. Well, that's cool too, because like the music stand is like, eh, is that showmanship? I guess you see people I do think it, they, but- you already have so much stuff as a drummer. If you have the music stand, it like brings you away from the kit. You Why know? doesn't somebody make a music stand with a boom, like like yeah. you know, with a boom on it, where you can sort of like in the studio too? I'm having to like. You need to get a Google Glasses music stand. <laughs> I know, right? Like right yeah, there. Exactly. Or <laughs> like one eye, or like something that hangs like How a visor. How does I know every tune? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. That's <laughs> yeah. like some Jason Bourne kind of Tom Tom Cruise thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean that's probably. It probably already exists, actually. <laughs> yeah, people do iPads. Do you do charts or iPads? Like, how do you? Uh, just notes on my iPhone for yeah. whenever I'm playing music. Because yeah. I, I haven't dive, dove into theory yet, so it wouldn't really serve me well. A chart, but if, there. if so, but if if you're learning a tune, do you memorize? You just memorize it? Yes, that, and, and then I'll, the I'll take notes on my phone if there's any like things that I need to remember, and I'll just reference that. But uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'd probably use an iPad yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's so modernized now that you have like your in-ear mix on an iPad. So I do use one for that sometimes. That um, blows me away. In-ears. Yeah, so it's crazy. Yeah, no, you you do like some church gigs. Yeah, church There's gigs. It's a pretty all advanced the time. Uh, monitoring technology there. They're very um, set in stone on their guidelines, and yeah. it's almost like their click track. You can put in all the other instruments and stuff like that too. So you're They're playing to a click? Yeah, all, wow. all the time with them at least. Good uh, on you. I don't prefer playing with a click live, but I can definitely do it yeah, now, thanks to them. What do you guys think about practicing to a click? Uh, it's useful to me. Yeah. Um, it's a pain to get up and change it all the time, but that just means I need a better metronome. Right, <laughs> right. What about you? Yeah, pretty important. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But then... Yeah, I, I I think it's really important to one of the things that I like playing with the best. This is for like jazz stuff, but like if you find an album that has maybe just like a guitar and a piano, right? I think that's better than a click. Yeah, <laughs> click yeah. is also good though, and it also depends on what you're doing. Like if you want to be like the Wrecking Crew, then you should probably be really good at playing to click stuff these days. Mm-hmm. It's tough too, and then yeah, sometimes it's 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 difficult because sometimes yeah you, you think you're you, you can play to a click and then it's not quite mm-hmm. but i but what about you do, do you do a lot of uh like if you're in the studio do you do a lot of stuff with the click you kind of have to yeah the, i mean not gotta get on the grid better. there <laughs> well you have to know how to do it i think yeah i mean i think the the best records we probably would all agree on knowing knowing this cast of characters were were made without a click and it just felt right Sure, you sure. know, I mean, even multi-tracked without a, I think like the Beatles in like that era, they'd like multi-track stuff with no click, which that's really rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Milford Graves, the, the great Milford Graves would say that having a static, I think it was him. It was either him or Andrew Sorrell that said, I think it was Milford Graves that would say that, that time is supposed to speed up and slow down and that, a, and that a static pulse actually creates tension. Okay. Yeah. But it, in in the modern world when you only have like three days or four days yeah. <laughs> and you're doing a bunch of takes and they want to edit things together 
you kind of have to do it. But it's I, an important I'm, skill. Yeah, you, it's important if you're going to be a drummer, you probably should learn. Yeah, but then the thing that I got into, and since you're working with the click so much, you might agree, is like you get addicted to it or not addicted to it you rely on it and because oh yeah yeah you rely on it because then god forbid that click goes out in the middle of the set there uh, uh -oh. like there's it's panic <laughs> at that place so right <laughs> or or like like if you're recording a song and then there's some dispute on the time it's mm -hmm. it's it's on us you sure. know <laughs> when you know maybe one of the other band members might get excited and push and pull You've got that click as the referee. No, I'm listen solo solo me in the click. I'm on. You know, I'm right. You're wrong. You know, sure. But then you think about like whether it's you're listening to to Coltrane or Don Cherry or Bill Evans, or you're getting into the Meters or James Brown or Led Zeppelin or Fela Kuti. Yeah, man. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. click, <laughs> and they just they they just felt it right. This is the first Fela Kuti mention on a I love podcast. It. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's just the two little sticks going tit 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 sure. tit. Someone playing them, you know. So that's good stuff. That brings yeah. me back to my like high school days. Yeah, <laughs> I used oh, to listen so you, to that in high school. <laughs> oh, dude. So you, you were way ahead of the curve, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we used to used to hang on Oak Park a lot. Rad. <laughs> you ever been to Oak Park? No, it's I don't. It's a know. western suburb of Chicago. Really cool city. Good, good vibes, like world music vibes and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, everything there. They have really, really good music programs, and just a really artsy city. It's where like Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, oh, a lot of his wow. houses are there. Such traditions here, yeah. Yeah, and, and then yeah, really lots of lots of art, <laughs> lots of art, lots of good food. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but with a click, I'll do because some things like now I'll get into. Like I, I started getting back into the Wilcoxon, the I, which book is the American. I forget the the title. There's a specific title. I took a class with Kenny Washington once in uh, syncopation. Wait. No, it's a Kenny. It, it's it's uh, I'm just Charlie Wilcoxon. There's like American. I forget the title, but it's a it's okay. A, maybe we can put it in the uh, description. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was told later. like maybe Philly Joe and and Elvin a lot of yeah, because all of the greats worked out of that book. Yeah, if you have any any good books, yeah, we can put it up so people. Checking out, checking out can. Uh, well, that's what that's what I was told. Like Kenny, like I basically, I played a little bit, but most of the time he talked about learning those things, but not on a practice pad on a snare drum, you know. Yeah. And getting like getting a snare drum where you can do a tap, like pianissimo tap, and then develop that into triple F, like getting this dynamic. That's hard. Yeah, definitely. You put that with a click. And you, you get those a couple of times. And at least with me, my hands were at one place and I started doing that book and they went to this whole other place and him and, nice. and maybe Danny Frankel. He, <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, he's played with Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson. And my dad talked of, about him before. Oh, Danny's <clears throat> incredible. And as far I as jazz, he, he was a, he studied with Paul Motion. So Danny was one of the guys nice. too, that, that, would play what we call jazz or improv, but then go and do a, a really incredible, cool pop session at the same time. And yeah, but he would say, Charlie Wilcoxon, man, do that book. And he would learn them on a bongo, everything and the snare drum. And so there's yeah. a lot of cool. So, but I'll do that with the, with the, with the metronome or I studied with this other guy, Murray Spivak. And we of course take us through five, seven, nine, ten, 10, all the different roles. Sure. And you certainly on a click and single strokes. And then more recently, I would get together with like this guy, Chad Wackerman, who's um, yeah. pretty incredible <laughs> Frank Zappa alumni. And he was having me do like 
And I sound like I'm like some brainy drummer. I'm not. I'm just really a backbeat person. But <laughs> it's fun to try things. So he'd have me do yeah. like sextuplets or like sixes going from like six to seven to 30 second notes within a quarter note pulse. And so there I think it's good to have a click because just superimposing like uh, like from quarter notes to eighth notes to quarter note triplets to 16th notes and then to to doing five 16th notes whatever per beat and then bringing that to six so it's it's a sort of like different subdivisions so having a click there is really it's just a fun thing and it takes the drudgery yeah. out of just doing single strokes which is just boring as you, fuck. you were talking about the <laughs> pad earlier which i think is interesting because um, I think it's actually a danger if you practice on a pad too much. Yes. You were talking about your touch. Oh, I couldn't agree more, dude. It's mm. so hard. Yeah. Well, that's why Kenny Washington, like, <laughs> he was just lecturing me, man, because I learned, he gave me some pages to learn from this book. Yeah. And I learned him. I can read a little, you know, I can read, maybe not like a classical person at all or a chart person, but I can, I, I can read. And, but. Did you learn at Berkeley or were you like learning? Berkeley. Uh, uh, like kind of like more traditional stuff before you went over there. No, man, my band teachers hated me. I was so undisciplined, you know, <laughs> sure. I was such a little punk. And, and so I, I made up for it right later. I took it more seriously, but nice. <laughs> but, uh, there is, yeah. there is valuable stuff there. It's, it's a pain to get in the old noggin, but once you, once oh, you got yeah, it, you use you, it. <laughs> they were right. I was wrong. What can sure. I say? Yeah. But you know, rock, no, and I've roll, got, rock I, and roll is what it is. I, I wish I would have spent more of my time when I was in high school not screwing around and and practicing <laughs> yeah learning yeah we've all got yeah yeah and i don't I college don't... probably too i did practice a lot in college i did one summer where i did like maybe seven hours a day that's rad because i did nothing else to do and i had a practice room and everyone else was like gone i just i lived in the dorm over the summer and you were you were a music best. major yeah, yeah i was a music major yeah i still you know paul wordico yeah he's the uh, played with Tons of people. Oh no, yeah, They're Pat Metheny being yeah, yeah. probably the most. He's fantastic. Yeah, he he was he was my teacher, and he was actually oh in charge of the department. Uh, wow, which school? Uh, Roosevelt, Chicago College of Performing Arts. At oh, Roosevelt. congratulations! So it's what kind of honor. a it's a very conservative school. Really, really challenging theory program. I, it was one of the best in the country. It took me three times to pass music history. <laughs> they would eat me alive. They would have thrown my ass on the curb. I passed though. Yeah, they would have thrown my ass on the curb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Because I Berkeley's think... a little more it seems like they're well yeah, they're just maybe a little more, I don't know, progressive like they have like just new genres there. They're they're open to maybe now to experiment, experimental when I was there, things. I I, <clears throat> I did want to learn about jazz and I think I got an exposure like got to hang out with John Ramsey and stuff, but nice. Joe Hunt was um, your like a uh, performance degree? Yeah. That, nice. Yeah, I never graduated, <laughs> but I, that was, that was the, the angle. Sure. But I did feel like, so here's a story at Berkeley. I auditioned for ensembles and, uh, I had been gigging. It was in Tahoe. It was with a bar band. So like I had just mm -hmm. gotten a one drop beat, reggae beat pretty good, you know, and I wanted to try something different. So sure. if there's an ensemble band, but yet my reading chops weren't, one drop didn't... beat. That's what the bass drum hit on two and four, right? That's what you're talking about. Uh, depending on if you, how you if you're counting at cut time or regular, okay. yes. Yeah, that's the bass drum. Four. Yeah. One. That's how I was. Yeah, yeah. It's so the coolest beat. It's it's, it's, it's a great beat. Backwards and, you know, rock. <laughs> the great Carlton Barrett. I mean, I mean Marley was <laughs> one of the biggest 
influencers of our time musically. Yeah, so I, I was really definitely. interested in Carlton Barrett. I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to learn about Art Blakey. And I remember I auditioned with a, with a Bob Marley tune, and they did not like it. You know, okay. I think I remember them giving me zeros or something. Or I don't oh, know no. what it was. And I was a gigging drummer, but my reading wasn't there. But I had worked. I had received Federal Reserve notes for playing drums, you know. Sure. Like, so I was like, what the heck? I remember <laughs> almost leaving. But then I had to get in the mindset of like, these guys, their thing is jazz. And their thing is being able to read. They had asked me to do like, okay, go from swing to Latin. And then here's four bars and hit this figure at bar four, and I didn't know any of those things. And so <laughs> they sort of deconstructed me. And, uh, but ironically, it was that one drop beat that's put food on my table for 20 years now, you know? Nice. So who knows what, and, and maybe being able to go from Latin to jazz has been fun and great and helpful, but. Yeah, jazz is kind of like a tradition. It's, yeah, the, well, it's not necessarily something that you, you need in the real world these days, yeah. Well, for, for many, I mean, there's the there's the Brian Blades and the, these people that just like wow. They did just, you did you play with any of the big bands over there? I was, subbed a few times, but I have a feeling yeah. I would ask to get subbed. I never the, play with the big be, band because the big band drummer didn't want to lose their gig, so they call someone <laughs> that wasn't as good as them, so they could you know what I'm saying? It was more like sure. that because I again oh, with jazz, yeah. there were such good, good, good drummers that would come in from like. Israel, Japan, whatever, then they were really focused, and I was just coming in, I guess maybe I was open to rock, and I was in an African sukus band, and I was in a ska band, and I, I would do a jazz session whenever I could, but sure. you know, I liked other stuff too, and I almost feel like it's almost like the same. I, I play um, bata drums, which are the Yoruba traditional rhythms that they play within a religious context and I, mm. I study them in LA and I study them in Cuba I'm not I'm not uh, I haven't had my hands washed or consecrated to play the, the ceremonies but I oh, okay. I've studied it's, it's it's a total discipline and I think the people that are really good there most of them I feel like make that a priority like this is what I'm gonna do this is my life or this is a good chunk of my life sure and I think if I ever wanted to do anything with jazz, I think I'd have to make a certain commitment there as well because yeah, it's yeah. such a sacred. That, that That's kind of it's, it's strange, but yeah, it is in a way. Yeah. It's kind of sacred tradition. Yeah. Oh my God! I mean, just <laughs> just looking at some of the guys that really have it, they've in my mind that authentic touch and sound is something to. It takes so much work. There are yeah, people that can do play a lot of notes over a, over a swing pattern. And that's cool too, but the people that really, really, really sit there and can do those really quiet quarter notes on the bass drum and get the hi-hat just right yeah, <laughs> and get that touch where they're playing pianissimo and then, the, I mean, that's next level. Yeah, so the, I, I, I just swing. could never, yeah. <laughs> you got to love it. Yeah. Yeah, we get, some, we get some cool people coming through, jazz guys. You, do you know Eric Binder? No, he's uh, he used to work here for a while, and he's a he's a really really accomplished uh, jazz drummer, local. Uh, he's really <laughs> bebop. His thing, he loves tiny bass drums. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, going to his place in a couple hours actually. <laughs> oh, you're going to Eric's? Yeah. <laughs> nice. You just hang in there. Play some drums tonight. Yeah. Oh, It'll cool, man. Oh my God, so you get to hang with all of these. <laughs> oh, it's fun. <laughs> Pretty much all we do. We just come to work. We just play with drums all day and go home. Play with yeah. drums a little more. <laughs> you have life figured out, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Well, we're we're very we're very fortunate. Yeah. 
and my dad worked really hard to build up this place kind of from nothing into what it is today. So yeah, well, we're all better for it. Yeah. We're all appreciative for it. While we're on the topic of jazz, I, uh, this shop was really my first introduction to jazz, not doing any theory background or anything like that. Uh huh. So I've dealt with some like pretty intense imposter syndrome, just seeing other people that are really well-versed on their, you know, their shops and everything. Uh huh. But, uh, the Steve's, I mean, they're, they're very, up to speed on their stuff and so imposter I, uh, syndrome yeah dude i <laughs> he shouldn't I, have that <laughs> i guess not but i mean my no, my totally wheelhouse is my wheelhouse is just for like a four four groove you know i can mm-hmm. i can sure. do that i can maybe play some jazz stuff if i watch long enough but it's funny because it's, yeah. it's humbling working here with you guys because then it's I, I get a lot of exposure to that not just from you but also <laughs> our clientele so the roots of jazz it's, drumming are completely not really it, it's the same it's like boom, 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 boom. it's like the root of jazz drumming all the other stuff changed later it, it's funny because yeah, yeah. In, in i feel like in most forms of music the drums kind of becomes like the foundation maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe tell mm-hmm. me if i'm wrong it's not always but oftentimes prog rock there are some exceptions where it actually becomes like almost the soloist but oftentimes it's like the foundation and jazz when it started out it was like that but it it drums change to become like a total even participant in the band. Mm-hmm. So like the really, if you listen to a really good band, maybe like McCoy Tyner on piano, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll hear the piano will start playing the groove. Mm-hmm. They start, mm-hmm. but like the, you know, the repetitive, uh, the repetitive pattern and then the drums will go a little nuts. Right. That's one of the things that, that's cool about jazz is the conversation that happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is sublime and it's so fun when you start to, cause yeah, I dude, I totally relate as far as like getting to Berkeley as more scratching 30 years old and meeting, meeting students that had, that had studied it since they mm-hmm. were young and, and maybe done youth orchestra and done high school jazz band and, and, Put you the work in. You didn't know Jason Patera, did you? I didn't. He I went didn't. there about the same time as you, I think. But if you weren't there too, yeah. Some great guys in my class. Abe Laborio was know. there and John Roberts. Wow. Yeah, no, there was some, <laughs> cool. it, was, it was bonkers. Yeah. So then, then the other problem with going to a place like that is when you leave, having a, like Abe Jr. on drums and stuff, is you're just like, well... <laughs> I'm headed for the cruise ships or, you know, in my case, I got a teaching credential and so sold ties, did all kinds of other things just to work because yeah, I think you leave one of those places sometimes and, and they're well-intentioned. They're just like, we're going to get our students ready to work, you know? So they would ask questions like, well, you could do a cruise ship gig or you could, you could play top 40. They, they had these different expressions, you know, casuals. And those things really went against any, all the creative grains that I had because I had envisioned music as like, I don't know, as art, you sure. know, as like expression. And then maybe the commerce would figure itself out, but the art would come first. So I kind of left just sort of thinking that I had misperceived or that I'd been, I thought of being in a band as like watching an episode of the monkeys. Like I thought like I must've misperceived what music is really about or being a professional. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people have that experience. I think yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And so like that was the problem with, I think <laughs> a certain way of thinking about music because dude, you could get around a, a, another crop of musicians that they'll just sit around 
and they they put instead of the technique they're they're the most of their focus is on the concept you know i don't want to sound like this i don't want to sound like that i let's what do we do what can we do that no one's doing that's totally unique to us that's that's pure you mean i could easily i could easily get listen to freddie hubbard or jonathan richmond or <laughs> you know go back and listen to a lot of the great 80s bands or listen to Keith Jarrett. I've been listening to some 80s Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some really cool stuff in there. I bought like a greatest of uh, LP. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's more of his drum machine era, huh? Yeah, you know, that stuff's kind of cool. It's so funny. It's it's almost like 80s music sounds more futuristic than our music now. <laughs> oh, no, we're trying right? to sound retro. Yeah, because everything... <laughs> I listened to, the, you know, the, the record my buddy just came with. He's playing with a ni- like a 1930s Slingerland. With his fingers on the drum, and you listen to the '80s stuff, and it's definitely no secret that people are trying site. to circle back to that sound <laughs> presently. Like, yeah, <laughs> trying to recreate it, it's regaining popularity again. Yeah. No. Did you get into the Daptones and, and a lot of the work that they did with? Not a whole lot, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I will after this. That's for sure. But. Well, they would do. <laughs> I mean, everyone heard the Amy Winehouse record, you know. I mean, that was an, and and so she had a lot of old grooves underneath her that that kind of alluded more to like maybe I don't know Sly Stone or James oh, Brown or or a lot of the great girl groups of the Motown <laughs> stuff, and so that was really good healthy for me to see like kids a lot younger than me that were using old mics and putting things on tape like what you have in your studio and trying to get that old crunchy sound and maybe. Mm-hmm elicit some of the vibe of, yeah. of older recordings now i'm not saying like it sounds different if you can sound exactly different. like this era you're cool yeah. and if you sound digital you're not cool that's not what i'm saying yeah but it's good to to like mess with it you know yeah yeah it's another tool in your arsenal <laughs> you yeah. got all kinds of different things you can use to to get right. your sound right oh uh, so, ta- tape if anyone listening ever wants to try maybe oh i, sh- I should buy a reel to reel just do it just do it because Real real tape is so cool. You you end up you end up with things you never would have ended up with, even by mistake. Right. Like you put it on backwards and it's playing backwards. And it's like, oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> you never would have noticed that before. And that's oh, how they came up I with I so want to get an eight track now after seeing your studio and all, maybe hearing all the a couple digital of the... effects that we have now that we take for granted. Oh yeah, I'm gonna put some flange on there. I'm gonna put a phaser on there. It's all from people with tape machines that made mistakes or from broken machines, analog machines. That's what led to these cool effects. Not all of them, but most of them. Like auto-tune isn't. <laughs> but, so an 8-track is portable <clears throat> enough to where if, if it has to get calibrated or fixed, I can bring it yeah, to the guy. Yeah, you could get a TX just like mine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and I'm those, a picture of that. Probably, I'm probably get one for like 2500 bucks, maybe 3000 for. How like many a, inputs? Uh, it's got eight, okay. and then they're RCA, unbalanced. <laughs> so, so what does that fun. mean exactly? Well, it's line-in inputs. And As it, opposed to XLR it, or... Uh, yeah, so XLR inputs have three. There's right. the ground, and then there's there's two things that have the signal. And if it's a balanced signal, it inverts those and then re-puts them back so that anything that's picked up along the cable will then be canceled out. So you can have like a 500-foot-long balanced cable, and you won't pick up any AM radio. Oh, that's cool. But if you have an unbalanced cable like an RCA, like in your record player, that's an RCA right. cable. right. Uh, if it's too long, it'll start picking stuff up. Oh, but it, it's it's a fine cable though. It's nothing wrong with RCAs, but it's it's a little. It, the machine doesn't have preamps too, so you have to have a board 
So okay. you go onto the board and the Oh, machine. so it doesn't come with preamps in it. That one doesn't. The four tracks do though. The four tracks the four you tracks. can just plug straight in. But then they don't, you know, they don't have phantom power. So there's other things you run into. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. you can only use uh, non-condenser mics unless you get one of those little phantom power units. There's ways around it. All right, can you get like a small, not to nerd this thing out too much, but with an 8-track, <laughs> can you get a board that has good preamps that's not huge and giant that's portable as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can. The, and then there's different kinds of 8-tracks. There are ones that have internal preamps too. It's just mine doesn't, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's all different types. And are those XLR inputs or are those li Later line ones. out? Like, is that quarter inch? XLR became, mine's from like 1981. XLR became popular and like kind of ubiquitous probably, probably by like 85, 86. And yeah, you, you start seeing them in all the machines. It's also, it's, it's like higher end machines. Okay. It's weird. Yeah, the one that I have, it's like, it is a professional machine. I think probably when those were new, a lot of people probably used them to record live performances, I bet. Uh, they'd like move them with the tour probably around. Oh, wow. And then the really big bands, they'd have a truck with two-inch machines. I wonder what they used to record like, like Coltrane at the Vanguard. And, probably or, something like I have. Or like those... those like Four-tracker and eight-track, yeah. Do you because, think they did four-track or eight-track, I wonder? Yeah, yeah it could be either. Because, yeah, they didn't have a ton of money. Can you imagine that? Some yeah. of those records, like... Those, those like, those live at the Village Vanguard at the Village Gate. Yeah. It was just some dude sitting at, at the table with, like, yeah, you know? Yeah. There's something about tape machines, too. They look they look like a smiley face. Wow. Yeah, the, 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 where the mouth is is the, the VU meters. My kids love them. Yeah, they're friendly looking. <laughs> that's cool. I don't know. That's maybe very silly, but there's just something about them. <laughs> I take them nice. apart, too. I've, I've taken mine apart. Uh, you got to oil them, you know, when I got that eight track, it wouldn't even turn on. <laughs> Would yeah, you we, like Craigslist or something? I don't know where my dad got that. He just randomly bought it one day. It might've been an early reverb thing right when reverb started. Right oh, when wow. We, yeah. That might've been cause yeah, like back in, this is when we were in Naperville at one point we got a four track and I just started using it and I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and I just kind of learned one thing. I still don't know everything you're always learning new stuff but you gotta get your impedance that's that's a big thing if your impedance is off big problem if you're recording stuff what's that well you got line level or mic level right and uh, you don't want to confuse those two and then a lot of old old boards if you have a quarter inch cable you put it in that's automatically going to be line level and then if you have an xlr and you put it in you have to hit the pad if you want if it's line it's can <laughs> so if you don't hit lot. pad, the, the signal is going to be too hot. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, and okay. I've done that before. Right. And and it'll get you a little bit of distortion. Some might like that distortion, though. And right. also depending. See, another cool thing about those old tape machines, I'm pretty sure those are transformer-based preamps. So if you got yourself like a Rupert Neve modern version that's probably nicer but built in many of the same respects, it's going to cost you about like maybe maybe 2500 to like $5,000 for two of these preamps. Right. You can get a whole tape machine with, with uh, four of those on it for maybe 1200 bucks. Oh. <laughs> but you got to be, you know, you got to want to go to tape. Yeah, it sounds so good. If you do direct in to a tape machine, uh, I don't know what it is man, exactly. I'm, I'm getting one. 
Yeah, you should. You should. Totally. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, and I and I record drums a lot. I've got like a little space yeah. in the in the back of like a converted garage. If you get one and you have like troubleshooting questions, give me a call. Oh, I'll, dude. I'll, I'll help you. Perfect. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's great, great fun. Yeah, good, awesome, good, uh, good thing to pursue. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so more about you. Like, uh, what was an early band? Maybe like the first band you were with, where you were like, "All right, this is this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this." The the first band that you were with, where you you started making a little bread, maybe. <clears throat> That's so maybe tough to say. Before college, maybe. That's no, I mean I I would do, like you know when you do cover bands, you make money. It's a mm-hmm. way of jumping in front of the line. If you're playing, people know the song. People yeah. know the songs, and you and and a and a and a tavern owner. That's why they keep making more Star Wars movies. Right. It's, <laughs> yeah. The tavern owner's psyched because the the clients are singing along. Sure. <laughs> the minute you try to do original music and you're 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 presenting it in a club, you're one of many, and so it's either it's it's pretty. I've found it to be very drastic. Either you're at the very you're aspiring and. No one's making anything and you're trying to hustle all your friends to go to go see you and they kind of roll their eyes. What time do you go on? And then if you go on a little bit later, they're like, dude, I got to go or, you know, I've had a couple shows like there's that. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's that. And it's it's incredibly difficult. And I think I, I just remember having a practice room in L.A. And I kept my drum room, you know, I had different day jobs and different hustles and stuff, but I'd have this little drum room. I'd make sure I would, I would scoop away enough money to pay for that drum room. You know, sometimes I could. You Were know. you in one of those kind of like shared spaces? No, it was like they had these, they have a studio in LA called TK Studios. It's by the 405 and okay. at least it was poorly insulated. So depending nice. on who moved in next to you, you, you were going to have a good couple months or a bad couple months. But one thing it was like the punk band is next door. Oh, well, yeah, what, 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 yeah, as if they were loud and they were hitting hard, you were sure. just bummed. You'd have to try to practice when they. I went used there. to in Chicago. There's some really cool places like that. I, I I was in. I did a lot of free jazz at the end. So oh, right. You're talking about creative music. That's yeah. about. There are no rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, we, I I play with a guy who plays trumpet into a bowl of water. Oh wow! Like just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, rad, like, rad. But but uh. Yeah, we had a little space, and next to us was like this really hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, and we would we would like compete. We'd like trade sometimes. We'd we'd play a little, then they'd play a little, then we play a that's, little. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. You're right. So, but you'd hear like, I was in this rehearsal complex, and it would bands would last like probably four months, and three four months later, someone else would move in because I think they would try it and go through this really impersonal, difficult process of trying to be heard and, and get some leg room yeah, and yeah. then they would disband and move on. So it's very, it's a difficult slog to do original music. So I've always, Definitely. so to make money, I just could never bring myself to do a cruise ship gig. And I was going to ask you that too. Yeah. Did you ever do teach, those? No, I mean, I did, I've done all kinds like, you know, you'd find me in a restaurant or a lounge or a club or <clears> recording <throat> or teaching to some degree. Um, I think teaching drums, I'll do it. I, I, I teach right now, but I think I just, it was, it's so hard for me to be in that class of thing because like, sure. dude, I studied every that, now and I'm kind of like Dawson, yeah. like John Ramsey, like, <clears throat> like, you know, Joe Hunt. Oh my God. And then the Afro Cuban guys, like I know, or Kenny Wash, the people that teach, they're like masters. And so I think it, 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 it does, on one hand, I have a lot of fun, and I have information I give to people that I that's 
been time tested that I thoroughly believe in, but I think it's it's a high order that deserves some mindfulness. Like you know, teachers, teachers are like teachers are great, most important people in the teachers world. Teachers are the most important <laughs> thing. So I don't, it's, it's about. a job I always took really seriously, and I didn't yeah. take it lightly. You know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like I, sometimes you'll teach, but but you don't have like a continuous. No, I don't. <clears throat> but I mean, you know, before Jack, before I met Jack, I was I was in an indie band with a guitar player from this band called the Pixies. Did you ever hear the Pixies? Oh yeah, one? yeah, yep. yeah. So Joe, Joey, the guitar player Santiago, who so it was tough because I was like he's just a hero, and I had to try not to be starstruck, but. Sure. That was my first road gig, and he had a band called the Martinis while the Pixies were on the hiatus. So I got to work with him, and he those guys really kind of helped me jump from like just being in a bunch of indie bands. And was it similar like genre to the Pixies? No. Uh, oh yeah, I mean Joe sounds like Joe. He's sure. Like, you know, like not comparing him to Elvin, but I mean Elvin when he sits down, he sounds like Elvin. I mean, he probably yeah, yeah. He just does him, and I think. Some people just have have their sound. There's a certain cloth of artists that they just, that's who they sound like. There's another person that can go in and really, like a studio wrecking crew type, they can go in and do Herb Alpert one day and the Beach Boys. Form of form of this, form of that. Right, and both are badass and great, so no, no judgment, but Joe... It was Pixies, except you know his. They wrote he written songs with it with his then wife Linda. So that was a an eye opening experience in 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 like touring and playing and and being more in the I guess rock or indie rock thing. And and I did that for a little while. And then I was in like other bands. One band that sounded like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and the one sounded like one band that sounded like Bad Brains. And you know, auditioning the whole time, and I was like. I was teaching at the same time and going to Cuba at the same time, studying Afro-Cuban percussion, and then, and that's great. But it was just scraping by, like scraping. Do you, scrape. do you use the like the rhythms you've learned from the Afro-Cuban stuff? Yes. Like it, it's so cool. They, they, yes. they always call it like folkloric. Yes. Like the rhythms have meaning. Yes. They're like yes. religious meaning. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. very cool stuff. And I, I've been lucky to work as a folkloric percussionist. I, um, one of my teachers is uh, named Crucito, and he's arguably one of the best folkloric teachers from Havana. And he came here, and he's teaching me the bata drums. But then he does he does uh, functions of a religious nature that someone like me, who's not initiated in in the path, can play. And there's rhythms called palo and wiro, which are which are Definitely, really earnest spiritual rhythms and stuff. But yeah, the, my teacher, he, the uh... oh, that sounds like Abakwa. Yeah, like so. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a death, right? Death cult. He's telling me something like that. It's, oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, if, they if, play if it when did, someone like, dies um, or something. Whatever. That's it was a, like that's a about what I was playing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yep, that sounds like it. So anyway, that's like the Congo battery. <laughs> well, actually, you, this stuff is so interesting. Anyone, if you ever have a chance to learn about Afro-Cuban music, uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing there, stuff. There, there's programs to take you. So the rhythm that he's talking about, at least if, if I think he was talking about Abakwa, that's a. It's almost like the Masons. Um, it's a. It's. Oh. It's a secret. Not secret, but. 
you have to be a member and there's certain rights or functions that someone like us couldn't see. Sure. But there's a rhythm <laughs> called Abakwa and they have like these different clubs that, that you can go to and they, they cool. there's certain dances or rhythms. So anyway, I know uh, nothing about that. Yeah. I, well, you know that I That's, studied for a couple of years. Like I, I know the rhythms and, uh, the, uh, Wawanko, that was, uh, yeah. the one that I Roomba is the best. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and, uh, we, we did a lot of that. I also did Birch Creek a lot. That was great. Tons of, uh, tons of experience with all this stuff. Did you ever get in hand percussion? <laughs> no. Hand percussion. I just mm. got into it. Um, I got some congas lately. Awesome. A djembe. Awesome. You have I've nice congas. I do. <laughs> yeah. You got a whole set of uh, three. Yeah. Nice gift from the church, actually. Oh, they, that's great. They <laughs> just were sitting down in the basement. They're like, here's a whole set of congas with hard shell cases and a djembe. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. You know. It's like I need to learn. I did get to do a couple of church gigs. Yeah. No, one in particular. And I always thought to myself, this has got to be one of the best places to, to perform because man, I'll tell you, you rehearse and you're, you're playing or singing your heart out and you're in a club and there's nothing wrong with that environment and whatever's going on. Mm. But it's, it's intense when people are there to have a good time and let it hang out. Sometimes <laughs> you want to just maybe show off your art in a, in a place where people are just there and totally clear headed too. And there's, there's a total place for that. You're not really the focus whenever you're playing at church. That's for sure. Right. So it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways there. Yeah, and it's really really good experience too. I mean, I oh man, top notch grew up players. in that way, and it's uh, it's, it's a lot a lot of good experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it pays. <laughs> this mic keeps falling. Not to sound crass. Yeah, not our, our vintage mic. It doesn't it, fit it in does, any of our It's a it great does, mic uh, though. It does pay, but yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, they they gave me a bunch of really cool Latin percussion instruments over the last year, and so I've I've been just scratching the surface of those and starting to learn them more. And I think that's uh, something that's definitely coming down the pipeline for me in the future is I'll be learning more of that rather than drum set. So I really just want to do it all. Yeah, it's so fun. Find you know, they can do both. Another thing too moving away from maybe the jazz idiom if someone's just getting out there and working with an artist mm. if you have it have like a percussion thing together like i was really into afro-cuban stuff and then when i started working with jack johnson there were so many times where they're like we can't have a kit he plays acoustic guitar and you've got okay. to accompany him somehow sure so i could make a good slap with my <laughs> right-handed slap was pretty good and my left-handed bass tone was good and i knew how to get an open tone on a conga nice and i and a guy liked a cajon before they were like everywhere. Sure. It used to be you'd show up with a cajon. They're like, what is that? You know, it's pretty. He brought a wood box. <laughs> He's playing a box. Look at that. You know, <laughs> I mean, that tradition came from people that worked in the docks in, in, in Cuba and that didn't have access to drums. And is would, cajon Cuban? Technically? They, that's a tough one. I, I don't, don't want to have an ethnic musicologist yell at me yeah we but, might not even know where it came well from. i mean it's a wood box you, mean, you, you <laughs> see him in spain you see him in peru and stuff but as far as i know at least in cuba the from what i'm told someone probably be, originally just took a shipping box and well, started yeah, playing pe it people <laughs> that worked in the docks yeah would grab the different boxes so like the smaller boxes that would have candles and stuff was the improv box and the big box the big fruit boxes were the bass notes and and That's rhythms awesome. were made on that. And so cajon, those, those wooden boxes are a big part of the folkloric tradition 
in Cuba with is definitely with I've heard them use with 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 Roomba, Wamoko, like so Yambu. I didn't even know the cones were Columbia. in there in Cuba. Yeah, that's great. Oh yeah, and in Palo too. Yeah. So so I got my hands on Cajon and Conga. So when on the other end of the spectrum, when when an artist is like, look, man, I, I've got an acoustic gig and we want to do a duo or something. Can you just play some percussion? You show up with a cajon and maybe a brush or a shaker. You're you're in the mix. Yeah. And you know, so that's a good, it's a good thing to know. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, do you have you ever played gigs where it was like you and then another drummer, two drum sets? That's always that's always an interesting thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's a really great drummer who's who, William Patterson, I think, graduate uh, Sean Baltazar, who's one of my favorite um, jazz or everything drummers in Los Angeles, and and we did something where we improv with two drum set players. And then I had another did, project called Three Blind Drummers with Fredo Ortiz. He plays with, he's played with the Beastie Boys and Lo, Los Lobos. Nice. My friend Chris <laughs> Cano, who played in the band Orson, and we had a blast, you know? Nice. So, it, it, yeah. Do, do you, when you play with, like, another, like, do you, like, play less, probably, just starting out? like? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, you, you musical, and especially, like, one guy's doing a beat, and you can play things over it, or you can... Right. Grab a shaker or take the snares off and do like something on top of it. There you go. It's just super fun. If it, yeah, like that's uh, that Afro-Cuban stuff. Uh, some of my favorite drummers, they're, they're like drum set players for the Afro-Cuban stuff because you've got so many drums. Yeah. And they play a less. They don't play a lot of stuff. Right. They like fit in. They find like a good place to. Yep. So sometimes I've done gigs with like two drummers where we end up almost like fighting each other. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. Fitting in is very, very. <laughs> Usually it's drums and percussion. So I'll get a, I'll, I'll jump on and I have good friends that are in a band. They're like, hey, can you come bring a conga and some shakers and play? I love it. I'll watch what the drummer does. I'll play a shaker. I'll play a tambourine. I'll hit Do a conga. You hurt your hand from playing congas. Do you have any any advice to? to to not damage your <laughs> yeah from yeah all the slaps absolutely well it, it comes with technique so the edge of a conga drum is really sharp and the surface is really hard and it's almost like a tabletop yeah yeah and so a lot of the you know there's a conga, a conga player named Changuito well there's a guy with Tata Wienes but there's a couple guys that really got the technique down to pull a tone out of a conga they keep their hand flat don't hit the don't hit the edge. That's for the open open tone? Well, either the open or the slap. Or the slap or the bass, keeping your hand away from the edge and really making sure that just like just like drumstick technique, whether you're learning timpani or traditionally keeping it really flat. Yeah, yeah. And really getting the tone right. And so it's just taking the time. If you're doing it right, you shouldn't hurt yourself too much because you you don't want to be really tight. Correct. It's and you don't want to hit the edge. Yeah. And, and let your fingers kinda there's a sound. I mean, and everyone gets a slap a little bit differently. I've seen people get a flat. I've never gotten my slaps to where I want them to be. Yeah, that's an ongoing. Your sound better than me. I can even just tell on the table. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean, I was doing during the pandemic and stuff, and while I was off the road, I was doing doing some shedding. <laughs> well, no, you just my my teacher Cusito would be like, "We're gonna play a weirdo," and and you know you drive out to a house and play for four hours straight you know <laughs> you gotta have a little bit breaks yeah so yeah your hand will fall off your hands feel like pieces <laughs> yeah. of meat you know yeah. but then you get used to it and it's fun 
What, what about, so yeah, you, you play a lot. I mean, you must get like exhausted from being on the road so much. The, you got any advice to, to keep your energy up, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think especially earlier in, in the process with, at least with Jack Johnson, like I think the first two records, maybe even three, we were, we practically didn't unpack, you know, we would just go home and, and just sleep it off and, and jump back out there. It seems like fun, but I don't know how you guys do it. It seems, I would enjoy it for probably the first two weeks mm -hmm. and then I would just want to go home. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, man. And especially depending on levels, I'll do, I'll do, <laughs> I've done van ones before a lot. Oh, you're just like gig, that's even more intense. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, if you're lucky to get a hotel, you get a hotel. Yeah. You might have a roommate. You might be the one that snores. They might right. snore. Or <laughs> yeah. if it's a higher budget, which it rarely is at a certain level, you get your own room, and then you get up in the morning, you drive all day, you get to the gig, you play, go to sleep, and then just repeat, you know? It's <laughs> even rougher if, if it's a 45-minute set and you're opening for somebody or a 30-minute set, and he's like, dude, we just drove nine hours, and we're going to play for 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I <laughs> Come mean, on, guys. <laughs> I did toured Europe doing that once with a really great artist named Pierce Vicini, where we were doing opening for Ben Harper. Yeah, it's funny. Playing a 30 minute set, you know, <laughs> I'm so like, short. I just flew blah, 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 and did this. And we're going to play for 30 minutes in a loud auditorium. It's so it's a, it's, I don't know, man. I mean, I think the payoff is, is so obvious. I mean, it's harder touring in the U.S. And, and maybe during the winter and stuff. But, dude, if you get to go see all these places and meet all these people, and that's what makes up for it, the fun. It becomes worth it at that it point. It becomes worth it at that point. Unless, the, unless there's a tough situation happening, maybe musically or with the personalities or with the money or with whatever combination, then it can be incredibly hard if, sure. you're, if you're out there and, and not in a good place. So... Oh yeah, yeah. And I think that's why a lot of musicians, I'm guessing, might might have had struggles with maybe substances or Yeah. And yeah. that's why I think bands can be volatile little beings, you know. I mean it's it's an <laughs> unnatural pursuit. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the the history of uh bands staying together. Fans want the music so much and uh <laughs> so many stories where where they, they part ways. But yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, Noah, you, you should, uh, yeah, you got any, any, sure. First you should of all, talk uh, more. <laughs> I'm okay, talking too sure. much. <laughs> no, I'm, like I said, I'm here to moderate, but, uh, yeah, I got a couple questions for you. First, you mentioned Ben Harper. I, mm -hmm. I haven't listened to him in a few years now. Um, how many magnificent members were in his band? I forget the rest of his band. Name. Uh, okay. Got it. <laughs> Lost yeah, the yeah. mic again. <laughs> yeah. oh. Uh, Ben's had a lot of iterations ben harper if, if people aren't listening um and it's a tough this is a jump because we're not talking about the jazz idiom and i and i associate the shop with with more of the jazz tradition but yeah we're getting well, into well, yeah, like that's actually one of the reasons i wanted because we yeah we talked enough about the jazz stuff i don't want to talk oh, more, okay. about, more about cool uh, so for maybe someone yeah. <laughs> that for the outside chance they've 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 stuck with us um ben harper is like uh was a, a really great I guess I would call him like in the tradition of like Bill Withers or Neo Folk or I don't, what would you call him? But he plays, he can sound like Hendrix or whatever. He really does. He's definitely louder. And I have 
trying to remember which rendition of him I saw because I've seen Ben Harper before. I think it was like Ben Harper and the Magnificent Seven or something. The that Relentless Seven. Relentless, that's so it. So he plays a Weisenborn, which yeah. is a very rare type of lap steel. And anyway, he... Um, oh, I, 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 I'm not familiar with this, but I like it already. It's super cool. <laughs> he's, so he, he's sweet. Yeah. I, I did play in a country band once. Oh, cool. And it was right when I got back into drumming. I was in food service for a while. Incidentally, yeah, right. <laughs> but but yeah, so I love uh, steel guitar. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. I I, I agree cool with you. Yeah. yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt. Like, <laughs> so like in in Southern California, he he's from an area called Claremont, and it's sort of like uh, in it's sort of an Orange County adjacent, and it was really exciting for all of us to see a young dude playing a uh, a Weizenborn. If you it, it's like a lap steel, but it almost looks like a beautiful handmade sort of lap slide thing. And he was writing mm. songs that were really almost in the tradition of, I say, Bill Withers. He'd write about his feelings. He'd write about love. He'd write about politics. He was very introspective and he could channel a lot of people, but he had his own sound and his own vibe. And when he came out, it was great because it felt like being from Southern California, it almost felt like and there's nothing wrong with Guns N' Roses and and even the punk thing that came out of L.A., but seeing somebody <laughs> doing really beautiful sort of folk, rock, funk, soul mm -hmm. things from Los Angeles, and all these dudes were like Los Angelinos, you know, he had Oliver Charles on drums. I mean, you guys have to hear this kid. Well, he's a man now, but just <laughs> really great, really funky We'll put up a link of this, yeah, because I want to hear it too now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Is so, that Ben Harper's drummer there? Or? He's, yeah, Oliver's, yeah. I think, been the most consistent. I mean, I, Ben's had a bunch of great drummers, uh, Dean Butterworth and... Trying I'm, to think of who I saw. Jimmy Paxson. If sure it was it with was. the Relentless Seven, it wasn't. I, I think it was another iteration of his with, gotcha. with the band. I'm, I'm not too familiar with them. I'm sure they're great. But the one I'm aware of, and they probably participated in a lot of the hits, is... is uh, Juan Nelson, who just passed away, and, and Oliver. But anyway, seeing these incredibly funky dudes, all, but also play songs that were, that had some sort of depth or emotional maturity, I think it, it must have influenced Jack, and it certainly grabbed me. I mean, these guys were totally different. So I think that started a movement. Again, I always talk about Bill Withers, but it was certainly more in that realm, you know, where people were trying to delve deep you know, I liked it, and and I think that changed a lot. And when Ben came out, it created a whole new scene, like of singer songwriter. I mean, you think of L.A., you could think of like the James Taylor, you think of Jackson Brown, you think of the Eagles. There's that whole Laurel Canyon scene that's now kind of famous. You would think about the Sunset Strip and the hair bands. Did you ever go? Th any of you go through a Poison Motley Crue phase? Or? <laughs> Probably not. Just barely. <laughs> this isn't the crowd. And then you might think about the, the the punk scene, so like the germs and X and stuff, but you don't think about this kind of scene. And I think that thing happened. And I, I think it influenced Jack Johnson. Hmm. We all loved him, at least. I, I, I can't speak for him, but I know that those guys, as they did a couple of really brilliant records, they let us open for them. And I think that was a really great experience, getting to watch a band that could really command a stage and, and have a have their own voice so back to the thing of um schooled musician versus autodidact like i taught myself sure. i was in bands yeah <laughs> you know 
it was cool to be around things of people that maybe had sure they had technique and stuff but they really thought about what they wanted to do from a creative standpoint and then and then manifested the technique to express it so that was a cool thing for me to watch and to learn from and to get to open for those guys and then you know things just developed yeah very cool yeah I don't think I've mentioned this yet in the podcast, but I've been following Jack Johnson's music since y'all just first came on the scene. Oh, and, man, um, thanks. My family would go on road trips and we'd listen to you guys. And so I have a question that comes from my dad. And he, was, he always used to mention that your snare drum sounded like a piccolo snare in some recordings. Yeah, the first record, I had a, a superphonic, a 70s Ludwig okay. superphonic wide open. Wide open for it. It was wide open, and this before they made me mute everything for the. For the <laughs> I was gonna say there was there was ring, and it was like a tasteful, and it worked in the music, and it was like some of the most ring ringy snares that I've heard. And so he would always say, "That's got to be a piccolo." And I was like, "I don't know," but uh, it was a superphonic. Superphonic. I, cool. I just. Oh. <laughs> I have a story about how I sold it that I don't want to say, but it's <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's a, it's a very special. It was a it, the Lud alloy is a very special thing, you know those seventies. It was a, what did they call it, LM four hundred. Yeah, yep. I mean those are probably the most recorded snare drums in history. Right. Yeah, I the, mean that 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 drum is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, if any if someone comes in here from a studio saying like, I need a snare drum, that's you know I can tune. That, that's probably where I'm going to, if I have one, I'm going to show them that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I just got my hands on. I was telling you uh, a chrome over brass version of that with a transition. Badge. Those are, those are even their own. Yeah. Those that are. I think it's sick. You should check yeah. it out. They're, they're different. Yeah. The, the chrome over brass is going to be heavier. The chrome is going to stick better. And then, uh, cause you know, the, the aluminum ones, blood alloy ones, they, it like flakes off i like that yeah. it's cool yeah it's cool, but, but yeah 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 patina yeah. yeah 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 but uh but the the brass ones it it sticks really nicely to brass and then it might have brass hoops also i, I some hope have, so yeah there's a mixture some have steel hoops and because they were kind of transitioning but yeah the ones with like brass hoops and a brass shell that thing's gonna have just like a see i like them for rim shots right your rim shot will be like incredibly piercing yeah but yeah. then when you play on it it's not so that that's what i like brass versus steel for right steel is strong but maybe it's not as high pitched brass is like a little higher pitched right right it's like a ping as opposed to like a like (laughs) i don't know know, so you can tell you've really put those under science right there that's scientific analysis of the (laughs) yeah i mean for us like you it just varies from drum to drum and then you think about bonham that played the 402 the six and a half by 14 which his early know, ones might have been yep. brass but then later his, or no yeah they're or they're they're metal sorry he uses those the metal probably yeah. yeah yeah the, they're the early ones but we brass shell but then actually by the time he was doing those are probably all uh aluminum ones and then he probably made the blue and olive badge six and a half famous right i think so yeah yeah that's <laughs> matter of fact my friend brooks wackerman Oh, yeah. He called me up. You know Brooks? I, I'm familiar. Yeah, he's rad, and uh, <laughs> he's like a drumming superhero. He, he, called me, he called me up. He's like, dude, I just got to play Bonham snare on a session. And so I guess Jeff, <laughs> this guy Jeff, that was his John Bonham's tech, has one of his snares, and my oh, friend cool. got to play it. I'm just like <laughs> incredible. Yeah, yeah. I was nice. I was, I was impressed. Are you, are you big Bonham? You, you like Bonham stuff? Love. I mean, think about that first Zeppelin record, man. Yeah. 
Think about it. Something else. You know who my favorite rock drummer is? Who? Mitch Mitchell. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. You know I'm kind of with you, actually. Mitch is like one of my favorites. But he's I like amazing. Bob, though, but, Bob, but yeah, Mitch, oh, Mitch Mitchell. Oh, those guys were hugely inspiring for me to starting out drums. I mean, yeah. especially Bonham. Bonham made me want to hit drums hard. Oh, uh, Ringo man. got me into playing drums, but Bonham just made me want to like just have some triplets down the whole thing. And but think about nuts. this, Noah. <laughs> he was doing like good times, bad times. Mm -hmm. He was playing that on a Speed King pedal. Insane. Think about that for a second. <laughs> I've tried a Speed King because I'm like, I want to do Bonham triplets. Maybe I'll get a Speed King. It it felt like I felt like trying to dance in a pair of ski boots or something. I'm sure they're great <laughs> pedals, but it's so different. What kind of shoes did he wear? I don't know, that's a good but question. It, but think about a Speed King. Have you tried to play loud rock on a? I mean, that's a tricky I feel little like thing. Speed Kings are the pedal that will not help you in any way at all. It's all <laughs> up to you with your foot, and anything the, beyond that, you're on your own. Yeah, much. I mean, so just imagine he he created that sound. I think Speed Kings are good for like feathering. It's weird. I I I don't think they're very. Yeah, they're they're. Like they, they want to have less tension speed Kings. They yeah. want to have not a lot of tension. Right. Yeah. Whereas opposed to like DW 9,000, that thing, like it, it's a lot, it, you know, you hit it it's right back, ready to go again. Right. So it, it's very good for right, right, like right, double right. bass. Yeah. The, what, what, what is this tune you're talking about? What, what's the bottom? Is it? Is oh, it's it the, good times, bad times. How does that go? Uh oh, and he's got double bass. Everyone knows he's ever made. Okay, yeah. I think I know it. Yeah, yeah. you know it. It's I funny because I, I don't... It's the quintessential... Yeah. I know like every little jazz recording ever, but yeah, when it comes to the, the bottom stuff. Rock and roll, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting though. But yeah, what kind of shoes do you wear when you play? Vans, or just some flats, usually Vans. I'm very quite superstitious about my do you, drumming. Do you know footwear. Jojo Meyer? I'm a huge fan. I don't know him, but I'm I'm like he's he is. He's actually one of my favorite drummers. Oh, dude, yeah, like like a young girl would look at maybe Miley Cyrus. It's just like, oh my god, and I look <laughs> sure. at Jojo Meyer's like, oh my god. Yeah. That guy <laughs> he, so he's rad. really into pedals, and he he would always go into the New York shop. I wasn't there, and apparently look at all the pedals. And he, I, I, he, he had a Converse All Stars, and he had the soles of his sh a Converse made leather. Really? For because he, he wanted to cool. dance on the pedals like the guys used to do. That's why I asked. I wonder oh, what wow. kind of shoes Bonham was wearing because if you're on a Speed King, those were kind of designed back in the day when people used to wear leather shoes a lot. Oh wow! And so they might actually kind of be designed for that. It's a different feeling. It's like because you have like almost no friction. Yeah, and, and you can, like the jazz, like you can go like this with your foot. Yeah, Tony, I saw Tony Williams do, do that yeah, shit, with his exactly. left foot. What was it was like a, from another shoes. planet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing like he was practically standing up. His seat was so high. So like everyone's so different. Then you see, yeah, <laughs> you know, all the other studio drummers sitting super low. There's not one way to I do it. I sit high. Yeah, I sit. I sit pretty high. Even for my height, I sit high. All the yeah. jazz cats do. I want my tense. legs to be at least at a 90 degree, and then even a little up is okay. Yeah, that's kind of one. It's pretty high, too. Yeah. I never have to change the throne whenever you play. Like, oh, great. So then, <laughs> really? Yeah. Then that means you sit higher than me because I'm taller than you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Think about those Buddy Rich. Those canister thrones are quite 
high, right? There, that's that's definitely he's definitely. That's not. actually about where I sit. They're a little lower than I sit. Oh, so maybe he was taller. Was Buddy taller? Rich? Probably not. Probably not taller than me. Yeah. People people used to be shorter. He was. I wonder probably, if you could custom order I don't how know tall though. a canister <laughs> throne was back then. Like if you really yeah. knew how long you wanted it to be. Yeah, you just got to get a chainsaw. Like <laughs> okay, remember Mousy Alexander? Mm-hmm. We were talking about chainsawing. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Pro so, Drum has Gene Krupa's. Yeah, yeah. so chain, it was. And apparently Gene wasn't very tall. And Mousy was, he, he was a local Chicago guy. Uh, he was very not tall. <laughs> yeah, and so, so he had a throne that was with his kit, which our buddy bought a long time ago. Were you here for this? Uh, maybe. You weren't. You weren't here for this. This is before you started. Yeah, this guy Mousy. Um, uh, my buddy bought his bought his drum set, and uh, Bob, oh. my friend Bob, you remember Bob, right? Uh, blast name. Uh, I don't want to. Well, yeah, I don't blast him out. No. It starts with an M. Maybe. <laughs> he, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know I think I think about. so. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so he it's just because I don't know. He might not want me to say his name. Yeah, I don't know. That's right. <laughs> but they uh, th- this. Uh, this thing, the throne, because he was really short, so they had cut off like maybe half of it. Wow! <laughs> and I'm trying to play the drum set, like oh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, he he was apparently a really good drummer though. Mousy yeah. Alexander, I think that's his name. That's yeah, he's a local Chicago jazz guy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, ask, ask more questions, man. <laughs> oh man, all See, my questions are all about just your musical acts and just well, th- that's yeah, that's why it's gonna keep going yeah. to Jack Johnson for sure. <laughs> yeah. Feel free. Yeah. All right, um, it's all understood. Mm-hmm. Um, which snare drum on that one? It's that one had a. I think it's later on in the song. Not oh, quite dude, the you really listen to Brushfire Fairy Tales? I didn't did. You? That was like <laughs> my first intro into it, and I listened to it a lot. So it's oh, just thank a you. album that's like stuck in my head forever, basically. I wow. love it. So. I think we used a bunch of different stuff because we did a bunch of different sounds. You know, we did that record in two days. Really? Yeah. That's incredible. Well, we've the first day, so we're nice. all super green. <laughs> we go into the studio called Grandmaster in Hollywood, and they had recorded a lot of great records there. It's, but it was super 70s Driftwood studio. They had Billy Preston's piano in this big cement room, and so that's cool. they were they recorded the drums. So we go on the first day. Lot, lots of reverb. Yeah, for the drums. It was really cool. Nice. We, which yeah. Where we did it's a, this song called It's All Understood, which is sort of a, a Lennon-McCartney-esque. Yeah, nat- natural a, reverb mm-hmm. is something you cannot copy. No, no, and they got that sound. So, And I had a Gretsch round badge with the finish very similar to yours. Like nice. It was like a purpley, satiny thing. It was rad. Ooh. But uh, we went in and they erased everything the first day we did because we were too nervous you know we were playing to a click and this is our we were making a oh, record so everyone's we had a day like in, that we yeah. tracked it in two days so i remember we were in a rush for that and so wait we, wait they they erased it on accident no they just sounded too nervous so oh like, okay well, we erased everything we did yesterday <laughs> just redo it and we that does it. happen sometimes very rarely oh yeah I hear those. <laughs> how about have you ever had that happen before you do a do no. a good track and then accidentally. I mean, I've done it when I'm in, when I'm engineering my own stuff. I've Whoops. I've made some oopsies, some sure. big ones, but but uh, not when those those pro guys are. They know what they're doing. Yeah, impeccable. Yeah, there's a backup for the backup. Oh, dude, and then a backup for the backup. Yeah, <laughs> backups, yeah. backup. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think we used like a we had like a Brady there. We had my Superphonic. I think there. I think the engineer had a, a Brady. Snare. Yeah. You you begin the braid. This is Australian. I had this a braid. Hardwood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had Ajara. an original braid made by. 
dude, I met Brady a when fr- we went to friends Australia. Down under. Nice. <laughs> he's he's great. He was wild guy. Those chair block snares are pretty incredible drums. Oh yeah, they're, dude. They're I had really I, so one of those we used. I bought one on Craigslist, and then I since gave it to my friend JP. But yeah, nice. they're like That's really cool. hardwood stave. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah, stave, yeah. 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 Always really well made though. Yeah. Are, are they still around, Brady? I don't think so. I know Chris Brady Either. passed on, but I, I don't know. His, I think his his daughter, she was at the Nam show. Yeah, she's great. I think I the last Nam show I went to, may have been the one, right after he passed away. Oh, it was like wowzers. maybe six years ago, seven uh-huh. years ago. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I've 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 gotten to meet her a few times there. I remember great. she was talking to my dad. She was like, "Oh, these are all new new drums." Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. So Brady's still around. That well, but this was like seven years ago. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I know Jack when he was there. He he bought a Brady kit. It's beautiful. It's in his house in Australia. So. Yeah, drum manufacturers are 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 funny. Yeah, the they a lot of the times. Yeah, they don't. It's funny. It's like what? Why did this one last for two hundred years and then this one only was around for a little while? Yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting. <laughs> I think it's almost just because from one drum manufacturer to the next, the next person is always looking to do something unique so it always brings something new to the table that wasn't there before almost all the time and then mm-hmm. you know sometimes it doesn't but yeah. that's, that's why you just keep getting really unique companies like brady and craviato and all just everybody i mean they're all born out of a need for that niche of drum in a way craviato is actually a uh, going backwards. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. the, the technology solid steam bend. Steam bending single ply, ply is older than uh gluing many plies together. That's actually mm-hmm. the glues they use and everything and the way they they uh compress it. That's a much more modern modern thing. Yeah. Craviatos are almost exactly like well if you get a craviato with a baseball bat it's almost exactly like an old Slingerland Radio King wow. snare drum, single ply. Wow. You know, Leedy actually used to make single ply bass drums. Wow. They had, I think, they had a three ply, a two ply, and a single ply. And one was called the Spartan, and one did, was called the. Did any have any come through your shop? <laughs> you don't see them almost ever, because most of the time you see a bass drum, it's going to be three plies. <laughs> it's in here though. <laughs> I mean, what happened? Yeah. Like, what happened to all the concert toms? Everyone's into concert toms right now. Concert toms? Ooh. Yeah, and like, uh, like the like LA studio toms. guys, like, they're using concert toms. And, 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 but you just don't see them. There was a time when <laughs> a lot of concert toms around. They, so, so drums just vanished. That's, that's so what trips me out. 70s? Yeah. Concert toms? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Concert toms are a thing. I, I actually, I, I love that. One of my favorite tunings is, uh, like, the toms, one head on the top. A clear head mm-hmm. with maybe a little bit of muffling, but probably not. It's best if it's a Slingerland kit because then you don't need to muffle it at all. And then a bass drum with a pillow and then one head. Dude. 18, 20, doesn't really matter. 22. But yeah, just that sound. Just two concert toms, pillow in the bass drum. No front head. That's it. Or man. no resonant head on the bass drum. Yeah. That's the sound. And, and if you're in the studio and if you're tracking <laughs> and if you're tracking. And muffle the snare too, probably. Put, yeah, put a wallet you, on the snare. This is the. That's my. That's the trick. That's my secret. Muffling. Yeah, everybody <laughs> does that. Yeah. But the problem is, if you leave it on the snare drum. 
Yeah, yeah, forget right. about it. That's why you have to buy a root CQ drum dampener. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah actually, perfect. Yeah, we, we yeah, should we perfect should talk transition. About it. I've yeah, heard yeah. of root CQ before you came here, and I honestly didn't realize that you're behind it. And yeah. so I was very excited when you told me that. Because oh, I've just seen so many people using them, and they they always sound great. I'll I'll see people's clips or even their recordings where they've used them. Oh, thanks. And man. I've been itching for a set of them. I've even and looked. We're gonna before. hook you up. Yeah, we've oh, always can't been sold wait. Out. Yeah, <laughs> we have Amish people making them. So those of you that don't nice. know, I have like a, and it isn't something that I think a lot of the jazz community would embrace because the open open tones are what's what's the money in, in the jazz scene. So massive respect there. But if people are playing other types of music, you know, one of you know. Peter Erskine came to us and was really excited about what we had. He's one of our first people that said a couple of nice things on our behalf. And basically what we do is we have some thick stainless steel wire gauge that's in a circle. And we sew f uh, one version that's got it like a basically an inch and an eighth ring around it. And if you put it on top of the tom, it lets a nice warm note out, but it cuts out a lot of the high end yeah. that might be EQ'd out. And a lot of drummers that are doing, you know, more backbeat stuff are taping up their drums a little bit to 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 tame the sound down for the studio. And one of the things I found getting in the studio and trying to do other stuff is that while we all love open drum sounds and Bonham and stuff, a lot of sounds are tighter. You know, they want a tighter sound. And so mm -hmm. rather than taping up your drums, I came up with these cloth ring things, originally just bending a hanger. Yeah, we got to stock some of these. We'll, yeah, they're great. We'll order a bunch. They're great. And then I just got a pillowcase and just basically stapled just a fabric ring around it just to get, because my floor tom just was too, well, I couldn't get it to sound right. I didn't want to put tape on it because sometimes you do want that awesome open sound. Yeah. So then oh, we so made it. Yeah, that's why I use the wallet. Right. Wallet on, wallet off. So and this is, So yeah. we basically just the concept of a tea towel, except it nests on top of the head inside. Right. And T-Tail, you should say that that that's the the um, Ringo thing. What Ringo did, if any yeah. of you saw Get Back, uh, you noticed that he put T-Tails on mm -hmm. most, if not all, of his drums, and just just to get that classic sound. And then you'd hear you'd hear a tradition of dampened drums with a lot of records, but more like in the funk or the reggae or certain singer songwriters, or now a lot of the rock or indie rock bands want more of a sound. And so these are basically just cloth drum covers, either that fully cover a drum in cloth, but that yet it, uh, it's thinner cloth, so it lets a lot of the transients out that you'd want. So at first it was just me when I'd play in a theater, a seated venue, and it was just really boomy. It would, they would save me. Or then when you get in the studio and there's someone like you that's got really nice mics and, and preamps and stuff, and there's harmonic instruments and there's a song and they don't want a ringy drum, you know, closed mic. They, they don't, they just run out like, you know, immediately start taping it up. You put these pieces of cloth on and it, and it just dampens it and gives it a classic sound. So yeah, yeah. we're real happy to have a lot of great bands. So uh, you got a, a website where people can go to, to, to purchase these? Yeah, www.rootcq.com. Put up some links. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and it's great. and and. Hopefully we'll, we'll they'll they'll get to cruise into your store. You've been nice enough to sell them in the past, and thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, we had a bunch in New York, I think. Yeah. And do you have a bass drum version, or is it just on the snare we don't, and tom? You know, I, and I, people have used them on a bass drum and really liked them. But, oh, okay. But I just figure there's so many. You know, the the pillow's so great if that's the sound you're after, or a, a piece. Yeah, of I just a, use like a random. <laughs> 
ran a bill of yeah. The t-shirt or uh, the felt strip is so great. We just thought that's yeah. already been covered by by so many people, but this we is just an official an Maxwell drums pillow. That's true. Yeah. It's oh, in the, it's I in the closet. Yeah. I want one. I'll sleep on it. And, well, yeah. though, it's it's just a random pillow. I I think I don't know where it came from. I think I found it in a basement. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think oh. it came to us in a drum set. I actually, yeah, I I have found the most incredible kind of spectacular array of different blankets inside of bass drums. Oh yeah, you must, huh? <laughs> I could I could open up like a a vintage blanket store. <laughs> yeah, just because of all the blankets I've taken out of bass drums over the years. It's incredible. Some the of them I brought home and I actually I washed them and I used them. Found <laughs> inside of people's drums sometimes is like yeah. I can't believe that people use this for muffling, but yeah, they'll use anything they can get their hands on. Yeah, those pretty nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the one kind thing of, kind that of a I, funny, funny thing about working in the drum shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I love about the Roots EQ is uh, I've always used like those plastic rings when I'm trying to achieve that sound. They buzz every single time. Yeah. And so the Roots we, EQ, we saw problems like that. Or if you if you have to if you take them off and you stow them, they they get bent. And once they're bent, yeah. you can't really use them. Sure. Yeah, the sound. It's if you're looking for a dampened sound, there's so many great options right now. The, the market, it's a popular thing right now. A lot of great companies are doing it. This is just one one version of it where it's, it's muslin, it's cloth, or we do one in chamois. We should get like a couple of the different types because we're going to do a bunch of videos pretty soon that are going to have just different types of muffling. And, and then we can have one of these. Sure. We'd, yeah. we'd love to help in any way. And it's just it's just another thing. I think having having some stuff that a working drummer can use and the price point is reasonable yeah. or it's not going to break the bank and it'll it'll just they can show up at a gig and have fun it's, it's been a great pursuit so yeah with it with the snare drum it does it give that kind of it's like a it's almost like a gated sound like it it, it makes it so it doesn't ring ring out too bad exactly so depending on if you're using a solid cover or an o-ring or we've we make an even lighter flappy product o-ring that's called flappy right it's just it's depending how much of the note you want to come up, but it really is almost like if you had a thinner T-shirt yeah. draped on the snare, right. which a producer makes you do. All, I've made entire records with T-shirts on. Sure, it's a Not little surprised. that fabric is too heavy. It's too heavy. Okay, yeah. yeah. So muslin's a lighter fabric, and it it, <laughs> it uh, with the, with the steel ring on the outside and the way it's stitched it nests really perfectly. Again, it was really cool to see Steve Ferroni. I mean, he's one of my favorite. Do you know who he is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of my favorite pocket players. I mean, average white band hey, and Duran Duran. Has he bought stuff from us before? Not that I know of. Maybe. maybe. He plays vintage stuff too. Anyway, he was... He, I think he has. I think my dad talked about him at one point, but... Yeah, yeah anyway, I mean, <laughs> if, if you're into like soul I don't know or funk music, he, he's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he... <clears throat> He was really supportive, like a guy like that, you know, just who's a pocket player, basically saying, "My engineer was so happy we used these," and then you know, yeah, because they the engineer wants a really clean sound yeah. a lot of the times, because then he can add anything he wants later. Correct. So that's correct. What, that's why, and then people who, if you want to be like fundamentalist about your drumming tone, it's like, okay, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but that's not always the, you know, if you want to say like, I, I have like a yeah, the drum must be completely open. <laughs> yeah. Then that that works good in a certain situation, but if he's trying to even yeah, like the 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 what do they call it when something rings unexpectedly? Uh sympathetic vibration. 
there's the sympathetic that, vibration of your snares while you're playing the other drums. Well, that's a problem. Completely messes up a recording. If you muffle it a little bit, it can help that a little. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And then you go into different locations and the sound is going to be different. And sometimes you, but then you maybe want to access some more wide open song on another. You might sure. want a whole other sound on another song. So yeah. when I'm playing live, I'll literally some stuff I'm using mallets. I need a wide open sound. Mm. I'm playing brushes. I just pop them off and play mallets and use brushes. So right. Oh, you do brushes. Yeah. Oh, I love That's, brushes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a dying art. I don't know. It's maybe it's coming back a little bit though. Regal tip. What's the deal with Regal tip? What kind of brushes do you use? Well, I'm not Vader artist, but, uh, so, so Vader. Okay. Vader, well, yeah, yeah nice. we, we have, uh, some, yeah, Vader makes great stuff. We have some, uh, Promark ones and Vader ones. We stock everything. some Vader, yeah. Regal Tip apparently is no more. Oh, they're done. I, I don't know this. Oh, I don't know this for no, sure. But that's so sad. As far as I know, and I've used Regal Tip sticks and brushes for the last ten years. Oh, so fantastic. Oh, that's too. So I'm just, just gonna. Oh no. Move to Vic Firth, and I, I've really always liked Vic Firth. Company. A Vic Firth's great. I, I actually think I might. Joe Testa. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> I might be better with the seven A's. I was talking about this the other day. <laughs> I think lo shorter sticks are better for singles, and yeah. then longer sticks are better for like press rolls. Yeah, that's one thing I'm finding. It's just the way they're weighted. <laughs> wow, I just switched to Vader not long ago because their their uh, sugar maple selection is fantastic, oh, and I yeah. really love the sugar maple stuff. And so I've been diving into their sticks lately. Vader's like great. Vader. And they make these monster brushes for, especially if, like, if. For the for, cajon, right? For the cajon or even on a drum. Yeah. It sounds great. So there's, but there's, all the companies have such cool stuff, you yeah. know, so we're yeah. not lacking in, in anything. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, yeah, I, I, the, the, the Vic Firth brushes, they have a purple handle. The ones that feel like the, the old uh, real tip ones. So. A little bit of attack to them. Yeah. They, yeah. they feel, I like them. But they're the purple handle is a little weird. <laughs> what if it doesn't match with my drum set? I know, right? <laughs> match mine. <laughs> I like purple, but you know, what if what if it clashes with my my tie? Then what am uh -huh. I gonna do? <laughs> uh -huh. You gotta count for the style. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, um Yeah, so yeah, no, you got any more uh questions about like kind of yeah what, what what you're up to these days like uh, you can even talk a little bit uh, oh yeah about no, what you're yeah. doing right now because cool. this will go out when, when do you want us but maybe two weeks whatever like you that? want man whatever you want probably um, yeah two weeks ish that, that's how long yeah, it takes whatever so you want any shows coming up you should uh oh, cool. tell people about it. they can come come see you oh cool well uh yeah just to wrap up um i'm on tour right now and and sadly we've been had a layover in chicago because our singer contracted covid and so he had to he had to quarantine in new york but we're doing a gig tomorrow in chicago and we're on a tour uh, supporting another jack johnson record called meet the moonlight it's he made a nice record it's great and uh sadly for you guys but you were able to come here and do this i know so. right <laughs> yeah for us it was it's, yeah. it's, it's been a beautiful stop and then he's doing okay though and yeah, he's fine you guys yeah, are ready to good. yeah he's healthy and ready to make some more tunes make some more music yeah. there it is and, and then <laughs> Yeah, I, I go back and forth. I'll be in L.A. gigging and playing and nice. recording. I've got a studio at my house. It's not nearly as as dialed as your guys' studio, but... Get um, a tape machine. I'm getting a tape machine. <laughs> if you get you're a tape machine, you'll... Respect, then it'll cover all the grounds. So <laughs> doesn't even have to be an expensive one. You can even record something totally digitally and bounce it through the tape. You can do that. I wouldn't recommend it. 
right. better to record straight to tape. But straight to tape, and then and you then if you're gonna that, bounce, but... maybe bounce once you record to the tape, bounce that to Pro Tools if you gotta chop it up. Or yeah, whatever. if it if it originally goes to tape, right. That that gives you the real quality because right. if digital is good at anything, digital is good at reproducing exactly what it hears. Right, and that's what tape actually makes what it hears sound better. I agree. That's there, the there, weird there's thing. A vibe. <laughs> yeah, there's a vibe. We've we've done a couple records in tape, and, and, and it's better to me. I mean, technically, you know, like my dog can probably hear things in the digital music that aren't there because you know dogs have like a higher. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But about 18 uh, kilohertz. That's where my, <laughs> and that's where the roll off, it's oh, the roll off is part of the tape naturally has like, it's almost like a, an EQ curve. Those those extreme highs, they just get really mellow. It's very lows too. subjective to you the application. Clean bass in. too. Tape does this thing where it actually takes out the, some of the subwoofer. Uh huh. Oh wow! A lot. I think a lot of the times people mix music nowadays with way too much bass. I don't know. Yeah. Am I wrong? Like no, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's gotten out of hand. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's gotten too. They've gone too far. Yeah. The you want you want bass, but I think clean bass sometimes means a little less bass. Uh -huh. I know when I, I record a lot of jazz stuff, and especially in jazz, sure. you want the bass to be. Sure. sure. <laughs> awesome. But, but yeah, so. Yeah, I think we, we hit most of the bases. Cool. Is there really anything yeah. else you wanted That's to... That's it, man. It's an honor to be here. I love the podcast, and I'm just psyched to get to be at the shop. Yeah. Thanks, the... you guys. It's been Thank great you, fun. I get, you, you still up for a sandwich? Yep. Let's yeah. do it. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Good deal.